0: Welcome into another episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast for the thinkers in Freight, hosted by me, Blythe Bromleave. And on this show, we're telling the stories about how your favorite stuff and people make it from point A to B. In today's show, we're doing something new where we pick the best interviews from the industry's thought leaders and create a mashup of these episodes that you can listen over a period of time That way, if you want a crash course and say, autonomous trucks or what shippers want out of the 3PL partnership, you can listen to one long-form episode instead of having to dig through our library of, you know, 250-plus episodes at this time of recording. So all of these episodes that you're going to listen to today are from within the last year, so hopefully the insights from these folks will help you map out what your next year looks like. So with all that said, let's get into it what i learned at tmsa is that the power of collaboration over competition this one was i honestly you know we say that phrase and it's it's kind of rare to find it in other people that genuinely do want to share the insights and the training and the tips of things that they have learned along the way it honestly has been a over you know 10 plus years of creating content online. I have only recently learned how freeing it can be. And when I say recently, I, I mean really since COVID. Since COVID happened is really when I, I let go of the boundaries of sharing insight online for free. And when you start sharing your thoughts and your processes and the, the the way you do things and why, when you let go of that sort of, I guess, intellectual, uh, proprietary sort of mindset that these are my ideas that I've learned over years and years and years. I don't want anybody else to share them. I don't want to, or I don't want anybody else to know them because I don't want somebody else stealing my secrets. And I had that mindset for a very long time because I put a lot of time and energy into the research of the things that I do. But over the last couple of years, I've just sort of freed myself from that barrier because I find the more that I share my philosophy of how I think about marketing, how I think about business, and how I'm constantly improving what those thought processes look like, I'm perfectly fine with sharing the journey now. And it's so much more freeing because then you can really let somebody on in on. And when I say somebody, I mean other people who work at other companies that might potentially hire me. Um, thinking from that mindset and thinking from the collaboration over community mi- or collaboration over competition mindset is one of those things that when you start sharing powerful information, Then other people start gravitating towards you and you start gravitating towards other people that share that same mindset as well. You know, the sort of the phrase of the rising tide lifts all sails that. And that's really what I experienced at this conference. I mean, there were people that I was asking, you know, what software are you using? What uh, strategies do you still believe in? What strategies do you not, or, or do you think that are a waste of time? What annoys you within the industry? I was able to have those one-on-one conversations with a variety of people for at companies that are, you know, a variety of different sizes from the marketers that have a team of 25 people. To the people who are just starting to to even think about hiring, maybe a content writer or somebody to help with SEO or or, or another marketing role that they really need help with. So there, that sort of mindset, that collaboration over competition mindset, I thought was incredibly valuable, and it was wild to see so many other folks. Within the same industry that I work, that I, they had never heard of, of, of Cyberly. They had never heard of digital dispatch. You know, we've been focusing on freight marketing research for the last three or not freight marketing research, but freight marketing just really, well, yeah. I mean, I guess freight marketing research is, is at the core of, of really what we do because we want to make sure that all of our, you know, web clients and, and managed website services and that we're always staying ahead of the game and, and making content around those different strategies of playing in our own sandbox before we you know, it, tell anybody else about what we're doing. So thinking from that mindset, um, that's where a lot of the, the power of these conversations really shined through from all different sides of the marketing coin within the transportation, logistics, supply chain industry. So that was really great to see. The second one I want to talk about is TikTok and Facebook. It is, first of all, it's remarkable to me that so many transportation companies are dabbling in TikTok now. They're finding success. They are doing experiments. They are playing around with, you know, different styles of content that they like. And, you know, it's not necessarily dancing videos. Really, a lot of them actually were enthusiastically anti dancing videos. And they just wanted to share insight and just be funny and just, you know, do silly things on the internet to try to, you know, create a community around their brand, around their company company in order to recruit employees, uh, increase brand awareness, that sort of thing. So it was really cool to see the amount of of people who embrace a new social media platform like TikTok. And I know TikTok has been around for a while, but and freight it's very it has historically been very challenging to get this industry to adopt newer ways of marketing thinking and i think that that's sort of just it industry endemic that that is just something that has always gone on in this industry so when you see a newer platform take hold like it has it really in every other sector of our lives especially when it comes to uh direct to consumer and and that sort of a i guess marketing approach where where You know, the brands are going directly to the consumer instead of, you know, more of a B2B type environment, which I would still kind of classify uh, logistics and transportation as definitely within B2B, but we're all, you know, it's all B2C. It's all B2C marketing. Brands trying to get in front of a consumer who may eventually use their services or, you know, refer their services to somebody who may be interested in working in this industry. So it was really exciting to see that side of the coin. But then also, Oh, my thought of facebook is a dying social media company you're wasting your time being on that platform as being really challenged because there were several people that actively use facebook within this industry within the talks that i attended within the people that i spoke to predominantly they say that they are the most active on facebook and on TikTok, which I thought was really two different sides of the same marketing goal and how you're going to go after and achieve them. I and a lot of them, their next platform that they admitted that they need to start growing. And, you know, we're the, I think a lot of the, the times that the quote that was used is, we're getting back into LinkedIn as if they had started up a LinkedIn page, you know, years ago, never really messed with it. But because of the growth within the freight community on LinkedIn, they are now considering adding that back into their marketing mix. So the two platforms that, you know, all of the people that I spoke to personally, which is anecdotal, I know, of of course, um, but also by you know a show of hands of in different panels of who was using what social media platform in order to you know market their freight business. It was Facebook and it was TikTok predominantly. So I thought that that was really really fascinating as far as you know point number two of the takeaways from the TMSA conference. The the number three kind of ties in with the TikTok and Facebook, and that's the LinkedIn comeback. That phrase of "we're getting back into LinkedIn." Really hit home for a lot of carriers who want to develop that one on one relationship with shippers. Uh, the same thing for, for 3PLs. People want to develop these more deeper relationships with the they want to skip the middleman and they want to go right to the people who are making the decisions they don't want to you know pick up a you know make a cold call a thousand times a day in order to find the right person that they should be speaking to when instead they can just market themselves and market their personal brand on LinkedIn and and that's where they can sort of take their marketing career or their sales career and even from an executive perspective as well and really get back into LinkedIn and start posting regularly right because they're seeing the success of of some of the folks that were at this at the TMSA conference. Chris Jolly and Trey Griggs come to mind. They were one of the first people that I started networking with when all the conferences went virtual. Really, that first um, FreightWaves main event that went virtual. And that was really where a lot of us connected online, especially during lockdowns, especially during those first few months of COVID when the world was kind of spinning and we weren't really sure what direction we were going to end up in. And so uh, it's been a couple of years, but now seeing all of the folks that have built up their own personal brand since that time, it's really, it's taken years. So now it's starting to get that word of mouth that, hey, this LinkedIn actually works for a lot of folks within our industry. And and you don't necessarily have to uh, make it all about the company page. You can make it about your personal brand too. So I thought that that was um, a, a neat little insight as to how... People are thinking about reframing what LinkedIn and what the goals of LinkedIn. It's more of a personal approach rather than a business approach, even though there are some companies who are definitely doing both from a company page perspective and from their own personal LinkedIn page. But you know, really focusing on the latter, I I think was a priority for a lot of folks in those rooms. All right. Well, the next one that I thought was a really good takeaway is where the big marketing teams exist. And I'll tell you, it's not on the 3PL side and it's not on the carrier side. It is 1000% on the software side of things where the marketers that I met that had multiple teams on their... That had multiple team members within marketing that it, it, they were all pretty much software or SaaS based companies. And I think that that is sort of indicative of how, you know, so we talk a lot about the old school mindset where well, the old school mindset really exists on the 3PL and on the carrier side of things where you have a few standouts that are making them, making their names known. On different social media platforms, uh, within carriers and, and and within the broker space, but it's really about the SaaS companies that have the capacity in order to just hammer that home of who they are, what they do, the problems that they solve, um, the rest of their marketing team. You know, obviously they have the vision at the head of the the marketing department that then reports to the executive team, but then they also have a team of internal marketers that strictly focus one person stroke. Uh, focuses specifically on one social media network. That's what some of these software companies are doing. The one person focuses on Instagram. One person focuses on LinkedIn. One person focuses on advertisement. Then they have a handful of designers. And um, so that's how a lot of these different companies are structured. Uh, but for on the carrier and on the 3PL side of things, it is 100% still this one-person marketing team that is making all of that work. You might get lucky with some different transportation companies that have you know, maybe one hire that they've added on recently, and nine times out of 10, that person that they're going to add on is going to be a writer. Because being writing is such an essential skill of all the different aspects of marketing. That's the, the best bang for your buck that you're going to get. Bonus points if that person that is a writer can also articulate those, whatever they're writing, can, can articulate that on camera. Um, so that's really where a lot of these different hires are are. are Being made is that you have the one person that can kind of manage and do it all for a little while. And then when they make that first hire or when they're given the budget to make that first hire, they're going after the writers who may or may not dabble in, in, you know, articulating their thoughts on camera. So that was another interesting note. And then where the last one that I want to talk about is the lack of marketing data that we get we talk about you know sort of the the rise of of software in this space um as software adoptions how it seems like there there's a different software platform to handle every single problem within this industry except for marketing and i could make the argument that martech already covers a lot of the needs that marketing needs um for from, from that, I guess, sort of problem solving and content creation distribution from that lens. But the API integrations or lack thereof between, you know, warehouse management systems, fleet management software, um, TMS systems, of course, all of these different major players in this game lack the integrations from for marketing departments. It's where marketing departments don't even the the, the people that I spoke to, especially ones that have you know a, a one or two people that they have on their marketing team. They do not even touch. The TMS system or the WMS system, and and to me that's where I it, back in my days when I worked at a three PL and at a four PL, I would try to dabble inside of the TMS systems to see if I could get some kind of information. I I, I thought from from a, a theoretical standpoint that I could look at a TMS and be able to pick out which commodities are are shipping, you know, around a certain time. Produce is is a great example. Uh let's use pumpkins, for example. Pumpkins are going to be shipping what over the summer in order to get to where they need to go and you need to re it, it, it for the fall. So, September, October, even November to an extent, you know, you got to get those pumpkin shipments out, but you got to connect with those farmers months in advance. And so from that lens as a marketer, I want to be able to create that content plan, that content calendar in advance. So I want to be able to look into the TMS system and see what kind of, of fluctuations between different commodities that I could be creating content for ahead of time to help the sales team go after those different accounts. So uh, that kind of data just did not exist. I could not go into the system and run that particular report in order to better plan out my marketing campaigns. I didn't want sales running up to me the day before they leave for a conference and asking me to make a PowerPoint template. Okay, well, what's the PowerPoint template on? What are we covering? What problems are we solving? There's not enough time. And salespeople typically, in my experience, do not think that far in advance. It's more of those last minute requests. So for me as a marketer, and especially as a one person marketer, I was always trying to get ahead of the game. And that just didn't exist in the software, you know, 10 years ago when I was an executive assistant, but still to this day, it doesn't exist and it, sort of astounds me that in in today's world that we cannot, you know, from an API integration perspective, that I can take my CRM software and directly connect into different so in, d- into a different TMS in order to get that kind of insight on how I can better plan my campaigns in the future. I know that some CRMs have, you know, an additional widget that you can buy for an extra 10 grand a month that is a CRM and email based system. But those things are typically very, very crappy compared to the Martech solutions that already exist. So I, have no reason to log into the TMS platform in order to use their crappy CRM when I have, you know, a really great HubSpot system or I have a really great, you know, email marketing campaign set up in something like active campaign. So I have these systems and these processes already set up in a software that's very superior to the custom built version that these TMS providers are are handing out. And it's just, I think it's really frustrating. I think it's a really uh I think it's an opportunity for some of these platforms for a lot of this great tech SaaS to to go into that new direction of creating these API integrations so that you can as a marketer make those better decisions and set your sales team up for success. Because when your sales team wins, when you're sending them you know it, it leads that are you know of high value you that have a higher rate of closing then they they will better respect the systems that you're trying to put into place the marketing campaigns that you're you're creating the endless you know hours of of you know customer feedback that we typically are asking from sales it saves them a lot of time it trusts the, it allows them to trust us more that we know what, just what the hell we're doing and then it empowers us to be more data driven because you know as these new situations arise within our, our regular everyday economy. Um, it affects the, the the business side of things as well, and cuts are going to be made. That's what happens in a recession. So in that recession, you as a marketer, as a salesperson, you need to be prepared with making data-driven decisions and honestly doing more with less. You're going to be asked to do more because that's what happens during a recession is that marketing budgets get slashed. You may have the or or you may want to hire on a writer in the near future and that sounds wonderful but you are very lucky if you work at a company right now that is prioritizing that so until you get to that level until things are a little you know less shaky then we're going to have to rely on ourselves in order to to make better data driven decisions and and that is sort of how i want to wrap this entire conversation up is because In the coming months, maybe in the coming years, it's going to be challenging. That's the role of the modern-day marketer. But knowing how you're going to get to that end goal ROI and reverse engineering how to get there is going to be the best thing that you can do from your marketing career perspective because there are going to be a lot of marketers, a lot of businesses that are going to be strong in the coming months. But now is the time and and, and knowing everything that we learned from each other over the last couple of years and then learning in person at the TMSA event, I can safely say that a, a lot of strong marketers don't have to be worried at all. But if you haven't already started making those decisions on, you know, how you can make better data driven decisions that don't take away from the creative experiments that you want to run, I think that you are going to be set up for a massive success in the years to come. I I am incredibly bullish on the perspective of that marketers that are making data driven decisions that also create the balance of or have the balance of creativity and experimentation built in to how much you can carve away from just being directly you know sort of data it, it's a little I'm I'm probably uh, babbling a little bit too much about it but it's walking that fine line of being able to creatively experiment by seeing what's going on in the marketing or in the marketing world a la TikTok, a la, you know, Reels, um, a YouTube Shorts, where you can see different fluctuations of where attention is being spent online and you can experiment there, but you're also Making those data driven decisions on how many leads are we getting to our key landing pages on those landing pages? Are those users converting into booking a demo, booking a meeting, you know, asking for a quote? And then how many of those people that have actually like booked a meeting with you or have asked for a quote? have eventually become a customer. So we need to be able to walk that fine line of doing both of those key things that drive that demand generation that divide that that de- define, you know, where we're going to spend our time and attention and money based on where our audience is spending that time, attention and money. So you, we need to be able to make these, these decisions and we need to be able to do. A lot of the things, but not all of the things. So being able to, to look at the data driven solutions, but also being able to creatively experiment and create that deeper connection with our customers. That is going to build the strongest sort of like a super marketer that is going to be able to, to have a job really, uh, anywhere they want to work, whether it's inside this industry, whether it's outside of this industry, as long as you're following that key principle of what is driving the business and what ultimately makes a cus, makes a prospect become a customer then you can live in that world of where you can balance the art and science of marketing. And so that that was, you know, sort of a roundabout way of listing, you know, five to six things that were the top takeaways from the Transportation Marketing and Sales Conference that happened over the weekend. If you are not a member, I would highly suggest Becoming a member. And I don't just say that I should probably already say that, you know, I am a board member of the TMSA, but I have to admit the first few months that I was a part of the TMSA, it was under some other leadership. Um, I think, you know, there was a lot of sort of theories of, you know, this probably isn't the best direction that a marketing and sales association should take, but now. They are under new leadership and the new leadership, Jennifer Carpus, remain all the credit should go to her because she has really pulled a more than 90 year old association into the 21st century. And I think that she hit it out of the park with this event over in Orlando. So I think that this is only a sign of the things to come. From the TMSA, it's sort of the new TMSA and and the the route that they're planning. They have a new website coming out soon. Um, that should really bring in, you know, their entire, you know, member benefits and all that good stuff. So if you've heard about the TMSA maybe in the past or maybe have never heard of it, whatever you knew about it before, check it out again because they're moving in, in a whole new world. With all of that said, what you should be using from this information I'm about to give you is sort of use it as inspirational. Not all of these tactics are going to be right for your business. It's not going to be right from a budget standpoint or just a a time capacity standpoint. But you can use it as inspiration you can use it, use it as building blocks to add on to your digital media presence your website presence and connecting all of those dots so you can at the end of the day recruit better employees and also get better customers so knowing all of that use this list as you know some inspiration that you can take into your marketing planning now or in the future so first few key takeaways if you have as a 3PL your website if you have the the ability from a technology standpoint to give instant quotes that was one thing that really stood out especially among the top the top companies listed on there is to have the instant quoting ability because for a lot of 3PLs having someone submit a quote on your website is like the holy grail of metrics approving of the success of your company it's it's really the most important thing that you want a visitor to do and so what i saw as as far as like a commonality among a lot of these different companies is that they put that information in the hero section of the website. And the hero section of the website is that first frame that you see when you go to the desktop version of a website or a mobile version too. It's that that first section. What does that look like? Is it an image? Is it a video? What does that text say? What is that CTA button that, that you have in that section before the user scrolls? That is called your hero section. And so for a lot of these examples, I'm going to bring one up first. It's Kuna Nagal is how you pronounce this company name. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it wrong. I'm probably not. Looked for like six different YouTube videos to hear someone pronounce the company name so I could try to get it right. So I think that's how you pronounce it. But if you're looking at the screen, you can see in their hero section before you scroll, they have a tab that says, how can we help you today? And in the search bar, you can list out all of the different ways. So do you want uh, to submit a request for quote. Do you want to find tracking info? Do you want to search for a blog article? Do you want to search for their social media or their contact information? You can search for it in that search bar. So that as they are giving you the ability that if, maybe if you're not there to submit a quote, because to be honest, it's kind of rare that folks do arrive on your site and complete a form in order to submit a quote. You have to make that aware on other platforms of why that user should submit a quote on your website in order to really reap the benefits of that. So I really love how they took that field and they made it into a a place where you can just search for whatever you want, because if you're searching for whatever you want in that little frame, in that little box, it helps the user get to where they want to go much quicker than trying to navigate and trying to find where that information is on the website. It also, from a marketing perspective, gives you a ton of content ideas. Say someone is coming to your website and they're searching for, I don't know, uh, rules and regulations for uh, shipping goods from the US to another country you could have that information on your site and maybe the, the person doesn't know where to find it. So they input that information into the search bar to try to find it or if the person is searching for that information and it's not already on your site, that gives you the perfect indication of how you should be adjusting your content plan because you should be adding that to your content plan. If the user is searching for it and it fits within your business model and, and your revenue targets and whatever sort of messaging goals that you have, then that also helps. Search bars in a website is relatively easy to add into the functionality of your site and it gives you so much more valuable insight. Like for, for my website, Digital Dispatch, I get a weekly report every single single week of how folks arrived on the site and then what did they search for when they arrived on the site. And that gives me ideas of where I'm having gaps in my content and where I need to make more content in the future about those specific topics. So I thought that that was a really good example. Another really good example of instant quoting ability comes from Coyote Logistics. So, this form, if you're seeing it on the site, it really is from a functional coding level. It's a pretty basic form. Now, it's in the hero section again, and you can pick between truckload, less than truckload, intermodal, air or ocean. You fill out a couple things and then you move on to the next page. Now, the next page has more of a lengthy form of of what you need to fill out based on the the you know the qualifications that you entered into the first. You know, sort of box that you saw there on the hero section. Are you shipping LTL? Are you shipping uh, truckload? So you're filling out that short information quickly and then you're moving on to the next page where it's more detailed information that they are requesting from you. Now, I did do a little bit of a test run. So sorry to Coyote if you got a spam email that got submitted from this. Now, what I thought was really great is that they, with a lot of tools, especially If you don't have the technology to add an instant quoting ability, which instant quoting ability into your website is kind of tough and it is kind of expensive right now. But for Coyote... They're able to get this information. And then once you submit that information to their company, you're getting an email back immediately that says, Thank you for reaching out, Submit a quote. Here, our, our team is working on, you know, fixing up a quote for you and we'll be in contact soon. And then they list out a bunch of different resources that you can read while you're waiting for that person to get back to you from the company. So I thought that that was a really good way of, of trying to introduce, you know, some kind of a, a buyer flow where it, Still keeps the the potential business partner in the loop and and aware that you're on it and that you'll be in contact immediately. But I th- that's a very simple workflow that any 3PL in the country could implement today. It might take a few hours, you know, to get the verbiage right and get you know some email marketing software set up. But if you already have a lot of those capabilities, email marketing being one of them, already set up, and if you have a website that's already set up, this could take you a couple hours in order to implement the same thing that Coyote did, and you could probably do it for a lot cheaper than than what they have. Another option that I want to show you is TQL. Because this form... TQL is one of the largest companies in the entire world. But this form on their website to request a quote can be replicated by seriously any 3PL in the industry. Now, I didn't test this form. So I don't know what the follow up looks like. But if you just keep in mind that You know, once somebody submits a quote, they kind of want that answer very, very quickly. So, my one piece of advice is that if you are going to take a more uh, simpler approach, to putting contact to putting quoting forms on your website, then you need to make sure that you have that follow-up process in place where a salesperson is on it immediately. Those are hot leads. You want to make sure that someone is researching that immediately. When I say immediately, I mean within 30 minutes because anytime if it's outside of 30 minutes, then you're really sort of rolling the dice because that person on the other end wants an answer as soon as possible. And if you're not going to provide it to them, then somebody else will. So just keep that in mind to have that that sort of process set up from the jump. The next key takeaway from looking at all of these different 3PL websites is putting your content front and center. Now, not all 3PLs are going to be creating content on a regular basis, but if you are, don't hide the content put it front and center, make it easy. And a great example of this is the Expediters Podcast. This is one of the best podcast landing pages I've ever seen because it treats podcast episodes as blog posts. I, I do this on my own site and I see tr- a tremendous return as far as Evergreen listens to content that is more than a year old, a lot of these episodes. And so the Expediters Podcast, they're, they're doing the same strategy. And I'd be willing to bet that they're seeing a lot of success with that as well. And they put the content right in front of your face they they make it they if you're proud of your content you should be putting in front of your customer's face as much as possible and the expediter's podcast does a great job of that and then you can also use that podcast landing page to link to other relevant articles within your site anybody who knows seo and knows a good website viewing experience also includes linking to other relevant parts of your website through an article or a podcast article that is getting a good amount of listens. So say you have, you know, five episodes that are performing really, really well, add them to your website, add those show notes to your website, make it dumb easy for anybody who's coming to your, to your company website in order to check that out and to see the media that you are creating. Because even if they're not ready to convert right that second and submit an RFQ right on your website, they're more willing to follow your social media accounts and your podcasts If you put it in front of their face and make it easy for them to find it. Now, we mentioned last week on how your website can really help in lessening the amount of phone calls that your team receives. And that is sort of the goal, I think, with any website. No matter if you're a carrier, a through PL, freight tech, put all the information that users are seeking put it on your website. Don't gatekeep it. Don't require you know, someone to, to fill out a, you know book a meeting in order to get more in, into, I guess, the nitty gritty of what the services and the solutions that you provide. You want to make sure that you're putting that information front and center in order to reduce those phone calls. Because guess what? If you reduce phone calls to your team, especially if they're unnecessary phone calls, then you give them more time to do the things that have a greater impact on your bottom line. So this next example that I want to show is Burris Logistics. First Logistics has an enormous page of downloadable resources, but what I particularly like the most is that they have sales kits, brochures that they already have, you know, created and designed, which, predominantly a lot of of companies out here have that access to that information and they already have created that information. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have that content in a downloadable PDF that people can just download right off the website. It's not just for users, it's for your sales team too. Say they have a conference coming up, they're going to it the next day. Do you as the marketer want to really step back and be able to, to... jump in and design a new presentation every single time. No, design one and done, upload it to the website. And then you're giving not only your customers that resource, but you're giving it as a sales resource as well, especially if you have locations all over. So few takeaway tips, use your website to reduce those phone calls. When you are answering the questions with your content, it's better to put your face on camera. I know a lot of people are scared to do that, but put your face on camera and answer some of those questions. That will establish trust and credibility much more so than just, you know, a, I don't want to say like a talking head or like an illustrated video or or one of those kinds. Answer a civil quick 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 question 2 to 5 minutes and you already have your face on camera, so that develops authentic authenticity and trust with the users who are visiting your site. And then the last tip, make your website a one-stop shop But don't expect it to be like this magical lead fairy. Just because you add an RFQ or sales brochures to your website doesn't mean that people are automatically going to show up to your site unless you give them reason to. So that's where you're setting up your sales process on your site first. And then when you go to social media, you go to email, you go to all these other different channels, then that's where you can start to really spread the message about your brand, who you are, what you do, and all of that good information. I had mentioned earlier as sort of the kickoff to the show that if you're not on LinkedIn, yeah. then you probably haven't seen a lot of the posts. We that got you guys connected are through right, LinkedIn, right. which is super fun. And that's, yeah. I think that's the beauty of like live events like this is because for the first time since really COVID hit, you're able to start meeting with those connections that you made yes. digitally and you're meeting them in real life. And you guys have really been like taking off on LinkedIn, even the, the aspect of like the uh, the branding behind like your profile yes. photos on LinkedIn. What was it? It was. Is it a a cohesive strategy that you guys all came up with? So
1: I'm going to give a shout out to our director of recruiting and marketing, Josh Breeze. A lot of what you see on LinkedIn is because of him. So just a great creative person. And you talked about the headshots. So uh, we have two primary colors at Freightvana, gray and gold. And we put kind of a gold background behind all of our team. And that's fun. And, and what's really fun, too, is when you see on LinkedIn, maybe we're all interacting on a post or, uh, you know, some folks are looking at our company and they're getting to see this uniform sort of brand, which I think is a great way for us to get our name out into the marketplace. Uh, but even from a posting standpoint, we're able to generate a lot of intrigue and interest in what we're doing by being present and showing up in an authentic manner in LinkedIn and in other forms, right? We don't want to have that you know, I'd say sort of standoffish approach. We want to meet people where they are. I think the front door of so many B2B interactions is really your website, but even more so your social media Personality, where you know how are you meeting your customers, and if they can interact with us and they can see who we are, we're going to have a better chance of working with them. Right.
0: Was there an initial strategy on before getting on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Because I, I believe that you guys are, are, are fairly. You just said you're, you're, you're less we than a year old. started last year. yeah. So less than a year old. Was there a, a thought process of? Going into social media uh, we want to have a yeah. cohesive team strategy?
1: You know, I'd like to say that there was, but I think it's grown organically. So what we wanted to do is this. We wanted to be um, we wanted to be an organization that would show up authentically. But saying that's easy, it's not necessarily strategic. And I think as we've evolved, we said, well, how do we want our messaging to look and what do we want to share and how do we want to share it. LinkedIn's been a great resource and a great tool for us because we can share pretty frequently, pretty consistently. And then as we've continued sharing, we've got nearly a thousand followers well, as a new logistics company. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sure, all of our employees follow us, but we don't but have a thousand employees. Not yet, Right. Mm-hmm. So for us to be able to do that, what that means is folks are seeing what we post and they want to follow along with our journey, right? So I think from a strategic standpoint, it's grown uh, very, very quickly. But day one, we said we just want to show up and we want to be authentic. Mm -hmm. From there, it's developed, it's become a little bit more complex, as you'd expect. But really, I think we just started with a high-level perspective that we're going to show up as who we are. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And so from from that lens, obviously, LinkedIn is is a big priority for you guys. Yeah. What about the lens of other social media platforms? Yeah, are you so guys starting to, to expand felt, out there?
1: I, I felt like I was totally missing the boat early. Um, I had heard about TikTok, um, never interacted on it, never downloaded it, never looked at TikTok. But Josh was really, really early on marketing through TikTok. And he said, hey, let's be funny. It's a great way for a message to land, to stick. And I think even in uh, the last eight months or so, you're seeing more companies follow along and going with that sort of format. Being able to create fun, uh, punchy videos that might make you laugh, might make you think, Uh, are a great way to land a message. And so we've been doing a lot in LinkedIn, a lot in Instagram, and then we've been cross-sharing a lot of that content on the platform because, again, as a startup, it's our job to get our name out there, and this has been a great way to do it for us.
0: Do you guys have a singular strategy for each platform, or is it kind of, you know, because I, I always yeah. sort of tell people, well, learn one platform first and then start to expand
1: out. Okay, and then so you can
0: kind of u- use the same content on different platforms, but you got to change it a you little you got to change bit. it up a
1: little bit. You can't just go with the same strategy yeah. across the board. Do you remember when you first got a LinkedIn profile? No,
0: I don't, because it was so either. long ago. It was so long ago, right? And, and it, it was a feels like platform. it
1: feels like this digital sort of resume, yeah, or at least it used to. Right? You only looked at it when you needed a job. Only when you needed a job. Mm-hmm. If you saw someone five years ago in the office on LinkedIn, they were going to be called in for a one-on-one, right. <laughs> like HR immediately, is calling like them. HR is like, <laughs> and now it's like. You might walk by somebody like, hey, why haven't you logged into LinkedIn recently? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh,
0: that's, a, that's very true.
1: You know, why aren't you active on there? Our buyers are there. Our vendors are there. Our partners are there. Well, why aren't you, right? So that's changed pretty quickly. I think that's here to stay, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to continue to get more complex. So now back to the question, how do you show up differently on those different platforms? Not all that long ago, we were only on LinkedIn to go find jobs now we're on there to connect. I mean, genuinely to connect, right? I think it's okay to show up very authentically on LinkedIn, to be funny, to uh, not be so buttoned up. Mm. I mean, I think that's what people expect. And and hey, even in the post-COVID era, I think a lot of that formality was thrown out the window. Remember those early days of Zoom and it's like, my dog's barking. "Sorry, Sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's like, want to see my like, dog <laughs>
0: it's like you get it like this is the whole thing. we have
1: another package at our door like <laughs> if you
0: hire me you hire my dog too yeah
1: right it, it's like the well, same like I've got two little ones it's like my kid's crying in the background want to see my kid it's a great selling technique
0: absolutely because I feel like people will connect but early with that, on
1: though. early on you were shy about it or you yes. felt embarrassed by it and I think organizations that say no 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 it's okay right you've got a dog that's great you've got a family that's great too I think right. it,
0: it was funny about a year uh, before COVID hit. I want to say it was about that time frame that this guy was doing an interview on like CNBC or something like that.
1: Oh, the where kid the kid comes in and like just marches, what, in. and then the one that followed in. I, <laughs> and I, well, then the the, the it, woman comes in and just grabs
0: both of them yeah, and he's apologizing, but everybody's well, asking about it. Well, and what's funny, and so and
1: then they and then they went back to it afterwards, <laughs> where it's like, okay, and you know, you know that like if you're, and hey, it could be the other way around. Right, I'd come in and I'd be running the kids. You know, if my right. wife was on a call or something like that. <laughs> But you kind of have that moment where you're like, oh, no. And now it's like, it's okay.
0: You know what's funny is that that I guy can just turned his like, video now? off
1: like, for like two seconds and solved that whole. <laughs> but it was a great meme. Like, we needed that. Yes. Yeah. I,
0: that, so it's that aspect of it. But now when that guy does interviews, people yeah. will flood the comments asking about the kids. See
1: my, yeah. Yes. Show your kids, right? <laughs> so there was that one. And then there was another one where someone said something. I, I think he had to get up out of his chair and he was wearing shorts, right? Yeah. So like professional and then gym shorts. Um the CEO then stands up and is like, yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, Everybody does that. Right. <laughs> it, so, except for us, we're alive at a conference, so we're not doing that.
1: I had to break out my jackets. <laughs> I had to clean my nice pants. Uh, <laughs> it's great. It's great that we're getting back to this. So you think about yes. those things where what's changed after COVID? I think we're more sincere. I think we're more authentic. And that is such a great thing. Absolutely. It has pushed us to be more of ourselves in our workplace. And so I think those lines get a little bit blurred when it comes to social media. We can be more personable on a LinkedIn. We right. can be funny on LinkedIn. We can be consistently hanging out on LinkedIn. We can also be on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. And then when I think it, when it comes to the professional side, when we're doing video calls, that's gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, I think the opportunity to get back in person for conferences, for meetings has gotten better.
0: And then it strengthens
1: those digital relationships, too. Early on in my sales career, I was measured on how many hands I would shake. Mm -hmm. Not the thoughtfulness of the meetings I would have, the proposals I would give, uh, the work that I would go and do. Um, Now, I love shaking hands. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you do get opportunities to come to conferences, right, I think you show up in that same manner with everything else that we're talking about, where you can be a little bit authentic and dress down and and just, I don't know, cut through some of the BS. Just
0: embrace it. And and I think that that's also what's changed about COVID too with coming back to the live events is that you're using the live events to strengthen those digital relationships that you've been building for the last couple of years. And you can keep those going. And I think too, you you can also be a little bit more picky about the events that you go to, where it's more of an experience at the event, because I think that that's one of the, the great things about Manifest is that you have the autonomous vehicle zone. You have Which a so cool. puppy lounge. You have all of these different can aspects. Can us talk about the puppy lounge? Let's talk about the okay, puppy lounge. the puppy lounge <laughs> might be my
1: favorite thing. Um, Geota sponsored the puppy lounge yes. here, and I talked to their head of marketing, um, Evelyn. I forget her last name. She did a fantastic job. And so not only is it puppies, but it's also partnered with a local rescue where you yep. can adopt the animals. Um, but in the middle of the conference floor, there's a, I don't know, 20 by 20 little dog pen, beautiful little puppies and running a few around benches
0: some fake grass yeah like, uh, plenty of room to spread out
1: you want to get folks to stop by in a conference setting your booth puppies is probably the best way to go and do that
0: i feel like it's brilliant
1: if if a conference doesn't have a puppy booth in the future they're missing yeah i'm right? not going but but think about it too so we've t- <laughs> maybe uh <laughs> if you're conference planners, if you want get to puppies, guarantee
0: <laughs> that we'll be there and that people I'm will you, be it, excited,
1: it, it, it might be the hit of the show. It's like okay, autonomous trucks number one, puppies number two. See, I'd swap it, yeah, or maybe like one A and one B, one A one B, yeah, yeah. And depending on where you where you're at, that that answer flips. So. <laughs> But what's great about that is it's a physical representation of showing up a little bit different, of being more genuine, being more authentic, right? A couple of years ago, something like that, I could see people thumbing their nose at it. And then I saw some professionals down on the fake AstroTurf saying, "Give me a little puppy, right? <laughs> Having a great time. Yes. You know, it's funny, I was talking to some folks, too, and they said conferences can also be a little bit stressful. Mm. What a great mental health break. Yes,
0: that was what my a thought process. What a great mental health break. Right? You're talk, you're, and, and I think that that's one part of COVID that not a lot of people talk about is that you have spent a lot of time indoors. You probably yes. haven't been talking to a When's lot of When's the last time
1: people. you've done this, right? right?
0: And so it can be a little exhausting to come to these things really? and talk yeah. so much that you need that mental break in order yes. to get that recharge. And that was the perfect way for me to recharge, is to go play with some puppies. Yes. And then I'm in a much better mood to go around and have conversations.
1: You know... He'll, he'll kick me for this, but our CTO, Don Everhart, was actually late to a customer meeting. Showed, you know, like two minutes late. Sorry, Don. Uh, and he shows up. He says, hi, I'm Don Everhart, CTO. I was playing with puppies. Instantly forgiven, <laughs> yeah, though. Forgiven. Totally. Well, you was great? The customer's like, oh, yeah, I played with them earlier.
0: <laughs> so did not care.
1: Yeah. And, and so, again, I think we're just showing up uh, a little bit more genuinely than we used to. And that's one of the really good things that's happened over the last... Year and a half, two years. For sure, right.
0: and I think too from from that aspect, we, we had talked a little bit about LinkedIn. We talked about the Puppy yep. Lounge and like th- those different connections. And I feel like a lot of companies would be asking themselves before they even yeah. invest in something like that a LinkedIn strategy or yes. a Puppy Lounge, what's the ROI? The famous question the famous with marketing question? and sales is, what's yeah. the ROI? So what's your take on the ROI of a LinkedIn strategy, of a puppy well, lounge?
1: ROI is the wrong question, isn't it? I think it is. So so you are trying to put a black and white measurement on something that isn't so black or white.
0: Unless you have a different ROI strategy. ROI is different well, for everybody.
1: It is. And so and maybe, hey, so, so I'll clarify that a little bit. If you have a very traditional ROI strategy, you're probably going to miss on social in general and marketing specifically because you're not thinking about it as a way to go and acquire customers because because, when it comes to social
0: media... So, so lounges. The,
1: But the work that we've been doing for months is the inbound leads I saw today, right? So think about that. The work we've been doing for months is the inbound leads I've seen today. Now, the revenue I see to those, is that going to be a week from now, a month from now, three months from now? The sales cycle looks a little bit differently. But then what's the lifetime value of that customer who came in on that inbound lead? For some legacy companies, they might be able to measure that well. Mm. For some, I think they've got to do some deep, deep, uh, thoughtful work on thinking about how they should approach that. And I think if they were to embrace the fuzziness of the direct ROI in a short amount of time, what they'd say is, we can't underinvest here. Mm -hmm. There is no amount of... uh, Well, let me say it this way. You need to maximize your marketing dollars. There was an old uh, Coca-Cola ad executive who at some point said, we will spend a dollar for every dollar and a cent return we get from marketing. Now, that was aggressive, and that was from a different era, but that quote always stuck with me, and I'm paraphrasing and butchering Mm -hmm. it at that, but... It, it's to the effect of marketing cannot be undervalued, right? And even though I don't have responsibility for that, I have responsibility for the direct selling of it, uh, I need great marketing to do my job well. Absolutely,
0: because it, it's like you said, it takes months of work. Months. And I feel like that's what a lot of companies miss. And even when they, you see
1: the value of it, you're not going to see it in that one moment, right. but that value might come it for to years snowball. afterwards.
0: And I think for a lot of folks that you know, you'll see yeah. predominantly within logistics and the LinkedIn community, they have been building for years. for at least a year, at least, you know, a lot of them two years. I know it's taken me about two years to really gain a lot of traction to find yourself at events like this, talking to folks like you. So it's an investment, not just monetarily, but time-wise. Strategy wise, I can tell when I was saying that
1: you're you're thinking to yourself, right? There were months and months of building to get to this moment. One post
0: may give you six likes, and that's okay. You got to build to it. Totally okay. But you know, a lot of executives, if they don't get a hundred likes on something, they think it's a failure. They quit after two months, and they see no value. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a flash in the pan. There's so many organizations when I go to look at their organization page on LinkedIn, and then I go to look at their post they've made two posts in last year. Oh my gosh, you're missing. Right. Right. You've got to be consistent. You have to have a strategy and you have to have the commitment and follow through to see that over a period of time. You won't see any value if you don't. Right. But I think a lot of folks are short sighted and, uh, Hey, let's be, let's be real logistics. Why,
0: why do you, we're guys, not good at marketing. So obviously you're, you're, you're very pro marketing, which is kind of, I think, you know, for over the, I guess the history is, you know, marketing versus yeah. sales in a lot of organizations. It but you guys be. see, yeah, yeah. you, guys seem to have a great relationship. So how do y'all keep that dynamic moving in a positive way? Is it active communication? Is it joining each other in in uh, sales meetings, marketing meetings? What does that think, look like for you guys? I think guys? we get
1: an interesting vantage point to it because we're new. And so I know the value of marketing and having brand awareness. Whereas I think some legacy companies might say to themselves, well, folks know who we are. Right? And that might not be true. And so I think they look at it maybe... A little bit adversarially, where you're not doing your job, well, you're not doing your job. And that's the classic marketing sales sort of, sort of fight. And I just, I don't know. I, I think those lines are, are even pretty blurred today, where it's not just a, you can't have a strategy for either sales or marketing that doesn't include the other. Absolutely. So, so when you ask, hey, why is it working for us? I think it's because we view it that way. We've been hand in hand since day one. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: What are the kind of, I guess, the ways that you guys work together? Is it regular meetings? Is it yeah, maybe regular meetings, brainstorming.
1: Thing? And, you know, it's kind of fun. Um, hey, COVID's disrupted a lot of things. But one of the things that we are fortunate to have is an office space where we all get to be together. Um, and hey, we have hybrid remote work. We have a few employees who are in different states, but primarily our folks are in Phoenix, Arizona, right? <laughs> and so we can get together and rap and brainstorm and do some of those things that are a little bit better in person, right? There are some great things to do remote at home, even in sales and marketing, but I think the consistent, getting together, brainstorming, working together has helped us out. I also say we're very fortunate as a team. A lot of the folks who uh, are a part of this journey with us, we've known for a long period of time. Some of the folks that are at Freibana, even though we've only been together for six, seven, eight months, I've known for 10 years, right? And so we're operating from this high level of trust, we're in it together. I think we've just—I don't know—we've we've been able to do it a little bit differently than we did in the past life.
0: Now, obviously, you guys are prioritizing marketing and sales relationship and, yep. and, and collaboration together. It's historically in this industry that, that that hasn't always been the case. Oh, but so are there bad. any?
1: We're so bad. No, guys. But Are there any
0: companies doing it right that you're a fan of? Freightvana. <laughs> what about outside
1: of freight? no, uh, no, or maybe I know. outside of
0: freight? Um, maybe lessons that you take from from other companies on LinkedIn. You
1: know, I'd, I'd say so. So the companies that are here, I think, are doing a great job. We've seen a lot of great branding, a lot of great marketing. I think, by and large, the companies that are showing up to events like this are realizing the importance of it, so they are investing in it. And you know, I think some of the digital startups, right, which which we're a part of, they do a better job because they're coming to it from a different perspective. And they than, have to. Yes. They, they have, have to. to do
0: it because they don't have 200 And so I think that pushes the, the
1: industry which is a great thing. It's what It's what a lot of these startups say that they're doing, but the truth is you see that happen when they get their brand recognition out there in a short amount of time. And as startups, they're able to disrupt that traditional legacy model, right? I think that does push the whole industry. So, no, I'm kidding. We do a great job, but there's, there's a lot of folks in the space that we're fans of. But i also say, look in the last couple of years, what you're doing, what other folks like you are doing, able to build up a folly, put out content, do things like that. That wasn't happening three years ago. No, it was happening Who's- in other industries, not... yes. Right. Not freight. And so I think in general, logistics is sometimes slow to adopt new technologies because sometimes we're doing really tough work and the barriers to change are high, right? You can't go and shut down a building for a year. You can't go and rework an entire supply chain in a short amount of time. So some of the the changes are slower or incremental, and they also have to be proven before they're implemented, right? Right if I already go back to some of the early objections we had at Freightvana it wasn't about our model, our approach or our team, but sometimes it was simply we don't want to make a heavy investment early with a newer provider that I'll start you slow because we're going to crawl, walk and then we're going to run Right now what's funny is in this market if you can prove it even after a short period of time they'll scale you up really quick right um but i think marketing and the adoption of it is very similar right i think they want to see the roi they want to see it work they want to see other folks do it uh before they make an investment i'll tell you now we're, we're sharing we're active at freevana but in my past life uh the number of people we had to have to approve messages the number of things we were told not to say to not do really just put handcuffs around us where we have a lot of creative people who share a lot today and didn't share at all last year. Right. Why? Right. Preserve the brand. Don't say something dumb. Don't make a mistake. Right. All that stuff. You have to get over it a little bit, and you have to you trust, trust your, your team. people. Gosh, right. yes, we said it, echo. it comes to trust. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's so true. It is. If you would trust your folks to talk to your partners, why wouldn't you trust them to talk to the marketplace? Talk That's to said. those who want to be your partner. Absolutely, because I
0: think you, you can't suffocate creativity, and you have to yes. you have to be able to give the the leash a little bit for your employees to build their personal brands, because that helps you build like your company way, brand. I
1: like the way you said it. It almost feels like trust plus empowerment. Mm-hmm. Trust plus empowerment is what is going to give you that marketing momentum that you're probably looking for. Right. Yeah. And that you're probably
0: paying thousands and thousands of dollars to Google AdWords each month. Or imagine if you took that budget and invested it into a personality to come in and find the cool spots within your company that you could be talking about companies need to be thinking more about that. They need to be You're thinking about working with influencers and especially from a lot of these different carriers. And maybe you have dedicated fleets with, with truckers that have a, you know, a high profile. Truckers have some of the best social media they do. in all of logistics. It's so slept on. And they are not, you, they're not getting paid for their influencer work.
1: And a lot of executives don't even see that kind of media because they're not consuming it. Right. And once you do, you see, oh my gosh, this is so valuable.
0: Hundreds of thousands of followers for a Seriously. lot of these guys on yeah. YouTube, on Instagram, yeah, on we
1: TikTok. we about YouTube, YouTube is a great vlogging mechanism for drivers. Yeah, and some of the content's really good. It's entertaining, and it's
0: very insightful. And, yeah. and speaking of like, you know, marketing and sales communicating together, like more and more fleets or or even brokers, if you're working seen, with these carriers, some dip
1: their toes into it, but then it still has, I feel like, the baggage of legacy marketing, where it's a little buttoned up and a little bit stuffy. How many leads did
0: we get from that YouTube? Yeah, video? It's right.
1: Like... And so then you do like a series of three, and then you wait, and then you don't get traction. And then you stop,
0: and you probably spent a couple grand on high production equipment, renting a crew. Where <laughs> we had the best
1: transitions.
0: <laughs> Nobody screw cares. Your transitions. They Nobody want cares. To feel connected. I mean, don't and get
1: me wrong; it's nice when it's clean, but. right?
0: But at the same time, like you know, the, the majority of videos that go viral on, say like a TikTok are the low quality. The the real unboxing of products, not yeah. the, the fake scripted. You know that, that people don't want the curated social media feed anymore. They want the realness, and I think that that's why platforms like TikTok to an extent, I would say to an extent LinkedIn, but there's still, I think a lot of BS on, on LinkedIn that needs to get cleaned up. But I feel like more as more creators are but seeing you value. Let in that stop you, yes. right? Because you can be the
1: value in somebody's yeah. feed. When you right. see
0: so much cheesy stuff, if you're sick of like seeing certain things, then be the value that you want in your own timeline and provide that to somebody else.
1: So why do you think companies don't do it? They're too afraid. Yeah. And they just don't they don't believe in it. Too afraid of brand too reputation afraid. or where, where do you think?
0: Brand reputation and then I would also say time commitment. They do not prioritize it so it's easy to put like it on the back. The ROI back is burner. so
1: high and I know that it probably doesn't sound like that because I I would argue it's hard to measure but it's actually incredibly high. I mean, from a marketing perspective, dollars spent in marketing come back to you in a significant way, right? And even if it is those hard-to-measure features like having... Brand awareness, right? Which is, you know, maybe not a direct return. It does produce a direct return at some point in time. And so, it's just I don't, I don't understand Well,
0: it. the easiest thing I think for for a lot of folks is just adding a simple field to their contact forms on their website. Yeah. Uh, adding, how did you hear about us? Not a drop down, not a pre-selected box that you have. So they have to fill it out.
1: You have out and to give
2: you fill
0: that it feedback. out, and you have to hmm. manually type it in where you heard of that company or where you've heard of that. And that the truth brand. is,
1: if they were to do it by and large it's going to be social media yes they're not finding it from Google podcasts your, your, or social media your AdWords are just getting buried mm-hmm. and I mean it's terrible you can type in any one of the companies here and their competitors are the first and second and third result right right Okay. So that's not great. Podcasts. We haven't talked a lot about that. A lot of folks don't even jump on a podcast.
0: And it's so, it's the best PR that you can get. If you yeah. can hire
1: a PR agency to book you on say 10, 20 podcasts. I love the that's, industry podcast too. They've been getting so much better and they're fun and you get to feel like you know people. Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you read some copy or see a marketing deck or all of that. Great. Right. Sure. But you really get a sense to know somebody yes. when you listen to them in a long-form interview like this. And, and they tell you where they're coming from and who they are and what they're trying to do. Right.
0: You know. And then it goes back, I think, to our earlier point where you have that digital connection if you're with afraid, somebody.
1: But if you're afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing or you don't empower your people, you don't jump on it. Great. Your competitors will. Right. Great.
0: and you'll die a slow death yeah like that's that's just the name of the game you either you have to adapt to survive especially in a digital yeah. media environment because folks who were building on Facebook 10 years ago they saw they saw they got a lot of value from that originally but if they t- didn't take those skill sets and move them to another yeah. platform then they probably are already done because they
1: died over there right so let me ask you because I love that conversation so where do you think? the next year to five years would be from a social marketing standpoint. Where's the traffic going to
0: go? Social, I think it's difficult to, to say five years because there's no way to even... Like TikTok help. was on but, nobody's radar. Right.
1: Whereas you would Until probably say pandemic. that's a part of the strategy now.
0: But yes, uh, the, the biggest organic reach that you have online right now is through LinkedIn and through TikTok. That's I'd where you agree. had the most yeah. chance of going viral, getting attention. and part of it too is,
1: is Facebook has had to monetize Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. in a way that's made it a little bit tougher to stand out or a little bit more expensive. But why have they done that? Because it is effective. So you still have to do that. Right. That still has to be a part of your strategy, but the return is higher in LinkedIn right now. It's higher in TikTok Absolutely. and it's higher in podcast.
0: Organically, it's the, the best bang for your your time buck is yeah. going on LinkedIn and going on TikTok. But if you're doing a paid strategy, it's a way to guaranteed distribution of the content that you're already creating. So I'm a big fan of folks who are creating content, long form yeah. interviews, things like this, and then paying for that guaranteed distribution on the But I'm not right. a fan as opposed to folks who pay a lot of money in order to show an ad, Hey, download our case study,
1: yeah. download our ebook. Oh my no, gosh. Does that. Nobody wants to, cause, and then, you know, you're going to get into the sales funnel yep. and you know, the white paper is like yep. literally crap. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Less
0: than one. I think it's something like less than 1% of folks who will download a case study or download an
1: ebook will actually read should i plug my freight on then... white, white paper
0: <laughs> is it is it ungated no, or gated
1: no i'm gated it's gated, gated? We, yeah i mean we, we send we send things like that to shippers well i think you should because we're not trying to use that as a infograph. yeah because typically what you're doing is give yes. me your give me your data and i'll give you an email a sequence nugget. i know you're and it's be so bad.
0: An email you want my drip campaign right
1: I, mean, and you have to do it. It is a part of the strategy. There's no doubt. One of the hardest things we have to do as sales folks in the logistics space is get the attention of customers. Uh, I've talked to a couple of customers here, but I actually had uh, a really good friend of mine send me, this is early on last summer, I, I said, hey, how can I stand out in my messaging? This person is a friend, uh, but have also done quite a bit of business together. I said, how can I stand out? And it's a hard to answer question, but a part of that discussion went this way. I said, every single cold solicitation email I get, I'm going to forward to you do you want that? I said, of course I do. Like, please send it. I got about a hundred messages a week for a month. And I told him, stop it. Um, like legitimately, there's no no way you can develop a relationship with all of those people. And so mostly drip campaigns, a couple of personalized emails, most of them were bad, (laughs) like really bad. I saw a couple where like the, uh, you know, it wasn't working where it's like, you know, insert name, like those moments cringe. Hi F name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Capitalized like me. You know, and um, they were just, I don't know, they, they weren't very good. And I think the challenge is not just to show up and do, whether it's the other things that we've done, drip campaigns, whatever the sales strategy might be. It's not a matter of just doing the work, but it's doing it well. Right. Uh, one of my favorite quotes. I think I might have said it to you yesterday, um, but it truly is one of my favorite quotes. Anyone who's ever worked for me has heard it too many times. Right? I think. I think yeah. I know. And, what you're and with it's us. a paraphrase, <laughs> but so is Mark Twain. Mark Twain, and he said uh, something to the effect of, "Sorry, I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one." Marketing is hard. It is. Good marketing is really, really hard work. And the only way you don't get just better. show up. Don't just show up. Make that make that a commitment, and keep doing it. Because yeah. the only way you
0: get better is by getting the
1: reps in. Yeah, it was so bad when my <laughs> when my buddy was sending me all of those cold solicitations. So what I realized is. That is, in part, who I compete with, hmm. the folks who just inundate poorly.
0: Are you guys doing any uh, cold emailing, cold outreach? Oh, are, you, yeah. still, are you a big fan we of do, like that? Or,
1: or do you fan. kind of balance it with... There's a balance. Yeah, yeah there's a balance. I mean, as, as, as much as possible, I want to build a sincere relationship mm-hmm. where we can show up a little bit differently. But at some point, we've got to agree to talk to each other and to work with each other. And again, I'm empathetic. A lot of these shippers are dealing with poor service. Blown budgets, and they're still getting blown up by folks who want to be a part of their business. And I think for us, we're sincere, we're deliberate, we're targeted. Um, doesn't mean we're always successful, especially with cold outreach. Sure. But it's something that you have to do. I think I saw, and I don't know, it's in the industry, so it's pretty prevalent. But something like you've got to reach out to somebody seven times yep. on average before they're going to or they hear to or respond. Ad. Yeah. So something like that. So so let's just say it's seven times. Okay. Before they typically on average. Well, that means for some, you might need to send them a message 20 times, and it's not a matter of being uh, a burden to those prospects that you'd like to work with, but I think it's this. If you believe with conviction that you have value to deliver, it's your job to be persistent, but you need to show up in a way that lets them see that there is value. Otherwise, you are that burden. You are that annoying salesperson. Don't, Don't show up like that.
0: Well, I think cold outreach is a little bit easier. It's more effective, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're doing so much on social media so folks are oh, kind of sh- have like yes. a little bit of familiarity with well, your brand so it even, makes the cold outreach with, effective
1: and, and even with the cold outreach i don't try to go just generic drip campaign mm-hmm. i kind of hate it i mean do you like when you get drip campaigns
0: it, it depends if it's but i always yeah. go back to if it's highly specifically targeted to me okay. it's something yep. that i signed up for i know i'm going to go into an oh and you signed up for it yeah i signed up for it so if I'm getting highly targeted emails on a regular basis that are high value, mm-hmm. then I don't, like, report them for spam. See, or...
1: I, I like the opt-in sequences versus the opt-out, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm going to send you one on a totally cold, uh, mass drip campaign, I like opt-in
0: and sometimes you need that reminder. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, like um, courses that I have taken in the past. Okay. It, sometimes I will just forget yeah. that I just signed up for that course and then I haven't taken it yet. But if I'm getting the
1: email sequences, hey, there's this something is, that, this that, is that is something prompts that, you the right way. Yes. This yeah. is something
0: that you'll learn in this lesson. Or do you want to jump back in and start and continue you know, your so, progress?
1: So, and you talked about the, the cold solicitations. Think about how it ties back to social media. I might have a transportation manager like or interact with something that we do on LinkedIn. And then I might send them an email because I'm going to use a prospecting tool to go find their email, go find their phone number. And I might say, hey, so and so. Maybe I even give them a phone call. I like that a little bit more. Hmm. I feel like I don't know, people have moved away from phones a little bit.
0: I, I definitely have. I know. If but, I don't have a scheduled call, I'm not picking
1: it up. <laughs> so what do you do with a voicemail? This is a serious yeah. question. So you get a voicemail from somebody. Do you like that better than a cold email? It depends
0: on the voicemail. I don't want a voicemail that says, hey, call me back.
1: Oh, yeah. No, agreed. Uh, Tell me why you're calling. Oh, my gosh. Tell me in the message why you're calling. What's fun about those ones is you can block their number. (laughs) So so when I leave a cold voicemail, it's a quick, here's who I am, here's what I'm doing, and then here's why I want to connect specifically. (laughs) I do the same in, in cold emails. I do the same when someone has interacted with us in a cold fashion and agreed to a meeting. I like to send a reminder prompt discussing what we are going to talk about and why that meeting is worth their time. Smart. Yeah, right. And part of it is the commitment device. You said you would meet with me and here's what we're going to do. And then here's what I'm hoping to get out of it. I like doing that. And it seems a little funny to say directly at the beginning what I I want at the end of it. Right. But then it kind of gives you these guardrails for your expectations. And I don't know if I was, I feel like it disarms that. I'm not sure what's going to happen next sort of experience. Yeah, I don't know
0: what we're going to talk about or I don't know why we're getting on this phone call. You're answering yeah. those questions ahead of time. And I would much rather, I would be much more opt to to have that conversation with somebody if I knew exactly what we were talking about yes. and I know either I'm interested or I'm not. Right. And I'll just pass on the phone call versus taking the phone call because I know that this is something that I might I love this topic. Up, so. I
2: love this topic.
1: <laughs> I
0: know. I feel like we could talk uh, a, a bunch more about this, but we've covered a lot of ground. Um, this might make for a full show on a Cyberly episode. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Um, I'm in for it. Any Let's final it. notes like sales marketing predictions that you have for the rest of this year? What's what's going on at Freibana? All that good stuff. What do you guys got going on?
1: All right. So you gave me a lot there. Yeah, I know. That was like uh, four questions. <laughs> this will be part two of the show. No. Hey, r- real quick. Um, I would love if folks interact. You can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Lars Ward. Uh, at Um I would love if folks would follow along with us at I've You weren't the only person at this conference. He said, I've noticed what you guys are doing. And I think uh, imitation is a great form of flattery. Maybe folks can find something that we would inspire them to go and do. There's lots of folks here that we're inspired by, right? And so I think that's uh, something that makes the entire social media ecosystem better when there are a lot of folks who are doing it. And you know, maybe as a prediction, I don't know if this is a good prediction, but what I'd say is we have found value in it. Uh, we are going to continue investing heavily in the strategy that we've laid out by being active in social media. So, not really a prediction, just telling you that's what we're doing. Well, that's with. really, I feel like yeah. that's a prediction for your company. So, I feel like it works well. I think so.
0: All right. Yeah, so, so first sure, question sure. I got: um, keeping the the website and social conversation going a little bit. How important is that to you guys over at, at Rocket Shipping?
3: You know, it's our main focus right now is creating content. Um, our website, we threw up right when we started the company two years ago. And we've really gone all in on social media since then. We are redesigning the website. But most of our customers and clients, their first uh, you know, touch is a cold call or an email. But they go check us out on social, on LinkedIn, TikTok even. And they form an impression before they call us back or email us. And so... We want to be able to control that and, and try to control the narrative and push it towards where we're aiming.
0: Love that. So so for folks who, who may not know, what is your sort of freight origin story? How did you get in, into the world of freight? How did you fa- found the company, all that good stuff?
3: Um, Pretty typical freight story. I did not aim to go into freight. I was working in college as an intern at a company called Unishippers and mostly because I had gotten married and my wife told me I had to have a job, even though we were still in college. And that was a foreign concept to me. But I figured I would go find the first job I could that was on the bulletin board. Um, and I just you know started cold calling. It was like 100 cold calls a day. And from there, I kind of branched off and, and ended up finishing my school. I um, was going to be a chiropractor and decided to stick with freight. I, I found an affinity to sales progressed through that through another company and was a sales rep there. And then during COVID in 2020, I decided I'm going to go start rocket shipping, which our main purpose and our motto is to serve e-commerce companies that sell items that are too big and too bulky to ship UPS or FedEx ground and have to go LTL freight. Uh, There's a lot of complexities delivering to residences, whether it's White Glove or just curbside. And so we went out to solve that problem.
0: I love that you brought that up because in our our pre-show document, you had also said that you love talking about the consumer delivery experience when it comes to LTL freight expectations versus reality. What's the most, I guess, misunderstood part of LTL shipping?
3: Yeah, I call it the prime problem. Uh, And I think you can know who that's referencing. But essentially, consumers expect if they're ordering something online that it's going to get there in two days, Uh, whether that's a large sofa or just a book for their kid. uh, They think it's going to be the same experience. Well, LTL freight was never designed to deliver to residences. There's, you know, each terminal for even a major national carrier only has a few liftgate trucks. Um, And so, Every residential delivery needs a lift gate, So everything's delayed. There's pretty poor communication for setting the appointments. And you know, on that topic, most people expect their packages to just get delivered while they're at work. LTL freight almost always, and it is evolving, but the way the market has gone is that you need a delivery appointment. And the best case scenario is that the freight carrier gives you a two hour window. The worst case is that they say between eight and five, which is your working hours. You take a day off of work. And all too often, the freight carriers will you know, not be able to make that delivery even though they had an appointment. Customer or consumer has to call into the e-commerce company and yell and say, I took a day off at work. Where's my delivery? This is ridiculous. And, and that's what you know, at Rocket Shipping, that's what we do is we manage that whole experience. We communicate with the customer uh, or the end user and we communicate with our client and, and the carrier and we kind of are the liaison for that.
0: And so when we're talking about these kind of shipments, what are, I guess, mo- what are the, some of the common, I guess, commodities that that you're dealing with?
3: Yeah, I think it, it ranges, but like the most popular would be furniture. Uh, so couches, desks. Uh, during COVID, a lot of standing desks were ordered and we delivered a lot of desks to people's houses instead of at offices. Um, fire pits, grills, pool tables would be one that uh, is not as often, but that can't ship small package. Uh, anything that you can imagine, you're ordering online that is more than, you know, a hundred pounds and is probably more than sixty inches in length. Uh, even the mattresses that people are accustomed to delivering, most of the carriers don't want to deliver those anymore either, uh, for UPS and FedEx Ground. So it's 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 a kind of a niche of home goods.
0: And so when you're talking about, I guess, these home goods, like the first thing that sort of pops in my mind is that if I order something from Amazon or I order something from, um, I don't know, you know, Wayfair or something like that. They offer also like the white glove delivery aspect of it where they're going to come into your house and sort of set it up for you. Is that what you guys provide as well? Or how does that process work?
3: Yeah. And oftentimes, I'll I'll walk you through, typically the store, the client that we work with, we would provide curbside, but we also (laughs) provide white glove. Now, White glove's pretty expensive. And as you know, and everybody is aware, there's always free shipping in an e-commerce shopping cart, right? Because you don't want to add friction. You don't want to charge on top of what your discount is or what your product is. So White Glove, almost no one offers free White Glove shipping. And if they do, they've got massive leverage and they have warehouses everywhere. But for your your SMBs in the e-commerce, they offer curbside shipping for LTL. Um, unfortunately, and because of the consumer expectations for the delivery, it almost always is ordered, placed, picked up, and then the consumer goes, Hey, I need this brought to the second floor of my apartment, uh, or to the second floor of my house, or I need this inside. I'm not going to be home. And then we at rocket shipping, we will help our clients upgrade it to white glove. So we'll reroute the shipment to a final mile facility and facilitate the white glove inside delivery.
0: That makes a ton of sense and I'm I'm sure it's super helpful especially if you're ordering like a huge piece of furniture and you're you have no idea how to get it up the stairs I'm sure that's a that, that's a big issue that a lot of people would
3: pay yeah, for think or Yeah, it comes of- with.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I, another option is like well if it just arrives and then you are asking the driver to do this and the driver's like I'm not doing that. I'm not paid to do all that. Yeah. I would think that that that's a big uh, sort of uh, strain point for for a lot of folks. Um, th- there was a- another topic that you mentioned in the show, Doc. Because I'm just going to read here because I it's. One, it's something that I've heard sort of echoing around the freight space, but I'd love for you to to dive into it more. But you said that you're passionate about the major disconnect that we have in the freight tech space right now, because most of the TMS solutions and aggregators are being built and developed by people with no experience actually moving stuff, and that there are less than 10 SaaS companies in the space that are building tech intuitively with relevant freight experience. And you said there's a lot of innovation in the supply chain space, but a lot of it is wasted effort, um, especially at the enterprise level adoption. So you, can you kind of break down of this, I guess, misconception of the freight tech space right now? Because I, it, it seems revolutionary, everything that's happening. But from what you're saying, is it's almost like you kind of got to do a little bit more digging before you make that full commitment. Is, is that an accurate, I guess, assumption?
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, where I, I made that comment was probably around the LTL space, uh, the truckload space, I don't know as much about. But in the LTL space, there's a lot of SaaS companies and TMS solutions that basically either are trying to serve uh, the brokerage. So they only are focused on how to manage markups and invoicing so that you can maximize profitability for a brokerage model. Or they're focused on you know having a rebate from a freight carrier. So they're building it to be intuitive for that. I don't know of any really uh, impressive TMSs yet. And I think there's some being worked on that are focused on like consumer delivery experience and streamlining, you know, LTL, the final mile and actually improving that side of it. And since our economy, even before COVID, was heading towards more e commerce than retail, um, you know, I think that the focus for these SaaS solutions needs to be on the end user and the client rather than the carrier or the broker.
0: Yeah, because that, that's one common complaint that I hear is that with a lot of tech adoption is that the executives or the mid-management, they're making these decisions on what to buy without actually consulting with the employees that are going to have to actually use this software. Do you have, an, yeah. I guess, maybe any um, tips on, I, is it just simply talking to your in-the-trenches employees on how to adopt software that's going to work for them?
3: You know, I think another thing that I'll mention is that a lot of the best TMSs are built by corporations who move freight, but then they keep it exclusive to them, right? And so that's, that's great for their company, but no one else can use it except for their customers. And so what I'm talking about is more the SaaS companies out of Silicon Valley that are building TMSs they don't have any freight experience. They can code and they partner with carriers or they partner with brands, but they've never moved a shipment. And so everything from the process of how you get a BOL to how you dispatch to a carrier is, is not... It's, it's too clunky um, because they're worried about markups and, and, and managing multiple tariffs instead of, you know, it shouldn't take three clicks to get an LTL shipment. It should be API. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. need to build a load. You should be able to auto dispatch. And so... Uh, a couple of the TMSs out there are building in really good logic using you know, partners like Project 44, or Banyan, or, or, or um, I think there's another one out there. I forgot the name, sorry. But they, they build in logic for dimensions and all the different rules and complexities for LTL, um, but they're not really white label platforms. And so that's where probably the disconnect is. Those that are white label platforms are building it for brokerages. Those that are really intuitive TMS platforms are owned by corporations. And there's, there's a disconnect there.
0: Hmm. And so I, it's obviously it's a communication issue, which is, I think is the, the sort of the, the ever, yeah. it's going to be the, the, the same issue, you know, just different technology is if you don't have that line of communication there from the people who are actually going to be using these tools, then the user experience is just going to uh, dwindle. And if people aren't actually using it, then that's a lot of wasted money. Um, what, other, what other stories and freight are, should be talked about more?
3: Um I think one of the other stores in freight that should be talked about more is is generally speaking consumer experience because that's I'm biased to that but you know I think probably and there's a lot of hype and 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 talk about this with companies like Steam Logistics but non competes non solicits and and the industry being able to be mobile from company to company or start your own business I think that's not talked up enough about between you know how you can have these college kids come in and sign a non compete, but they don't really know what they're signing, and they're stuck with a company. If they want to move, they have to do it under the radar. They get intimidated. So there's a lot of that in this industry. I experienced it myself, and I know others who have as well. So that's probably being talked about by Steam a lot, but not very many people besides them.
0: Why do you think that more companies aren't talking about this? Is it simply because it's what they've done for so long, or or is it I, I I don't really know the reason, but I'd be curious to hear if you knew if you had some insight into that.
3: I think I think that like most industries, and and probably even more than most industries, is that a lot of freight sales and tech can be done remote, and corporations are really worried that they'll lose their employees to either you know outsourced sales like um, you know like Cellex, and you can kind of you know, that's like an Uber for sales reps, right? But they are also worried that. You know, even if they have a geography in Chicago, doesn't matter anymore because a company like Rocket Shipping can hire them and have them work remote. And so, I think that's what they're worried about. That's why it's not talked about. But it's going to change pretty soon here. And I think um, people are much more mobile, and they can take their book of business with them a lot easier.
0: And it also opens up. I mean, if you're a company and you are hiring, your your talent pool opens up tremendously. If you're not just looking in the geographic area oh, yeah. of of where your company is, um, but let's let's I guess transition into sort of that that part of the conversation because you guys, from looking at your TikTok videos, you have a really cool office. Um, it, it looks like you guys all get along really well. How are you approaching, I guess, recruiting efforts when, you're, when you have this cool office, but then you also want to recruit from all over the country? How are you guys tackling that?
3: Yeah, I think our main focus uh, with our TikTok is actually recruiting and saying, come work at Raga Shipping because this is a fun place to work. And I think you talked about it earlier in your show, Make It Fun. Uh, we certainly put an emphasis on that. And we do have some also videos about what we do and, and how we help clients and how we can help that supply chain for LTL. but. When you're talking, you know, hiring in-office versus remote, we do both. I have employees in Chicago and in Florida and in Tennessee, and I'm out of Fargo, North Dakota, um, and I have Minneapolis. And I think that that's kind of one of our superpowers is that I started rocket shipping during COVID, so I had no option but to hire remote. I do think that it's the prison of two ideas. People are afraid of remote versus in-office. I like both, and I love being in the office. I work in the office every day in Fargo. Uh, it's a 20 minute drive, but I come in every day and I've got a team here of 10 people. Um, but you can certainly expand and and create, uh, the ability to go after top talent and attract it, um, from across the U S to work for a startup like rocket shipping. And that's a, that's a big advantage. So that's why we're using the TikTok to do that.
0: How are you fostering, I guess, that community when you have a a hybrid work approach? How are, I guess, how do you feel, or how are you involving, I guess, employees from other states, making it still feel like they're they're a part of the company? Is that a process that's evolving for you guys? Have you maybe got it figured out, or or still working on it?
3: I don't think we have it figured out. It's always a work in progress. But it's my biggest thing is that like my role now, instead of just being the guy that brings on revenue, which is how I started it or helping on ops, my role now is to be the people person. And so not only am I trying to attract talent and interviewing people and bringing them here to to meet our team, but I'm also next week we're going to uh, um, northern Minnesota for a a summit for our sales team. And we're all going to go golfing for a couple of days and have some meetings and have some camaraderie. So We've got a guy coming from Chicago and from Tennessee and from Minneapolis all the way to the same spot. We did that in March. We did that in January. So it costs money. But I really think, uh, considering we have 25 people at our company, we're still a small company. I really think it's important that everybody feels part of the same vision and that there is a clear vision on where we're going. That's the other part is that everybody wants to feel like they're part of something and know where they're going and know how they can contribute to it. And so even if they're remote, we have standing meetings every day with ops and our sales and our marketing. And everybody knows where we're going and how we're trying to get there. So they still feel uh, in, you know, a huge part of it.
0: I love that. That that's what I've heard from a a couple other really successful companies that I follow is that they're fully remote, but they they put a really strong emphasis on uh, having the summits, having the 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 meetups, the retreats, where they can go and they can bond. Mm -hmm. Because I think for a lot of folks, when you're used to working in an office, there's always going to be people that just annoy the hell out of you. And so, when you have (laughs) that sort of that that distance, that you don't have to work next to that. annoying person that interrupts your workflow, but you could still, you know, go have a beer with them and and play some golf with them. I think that that's a a really good balance for the folks who want to get some serious work done, but also, you know, want to have some boundaries when it comes to living at work as well. Now, now you had mentioned yeah. about your your marketing department. What what does your marketing department look like? Is it, I know we've seen a, a couple of the funny videos, maybe we can play one um, in the background, of even one of that recently went viral with the social media girl. Let's play that clip. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Is it gonna play? Okay.
0: <laughs> Wasn't that just magnificent?
3: I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale, <laughs> it, wow. Yeah, that that one just went viral, like 200,000 views.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And that, that's the I, I keep preaching the power of TikTok, but you guys are really sort of that that's how I found out about your company was through TikTok. Um, so how are you, I guess, structuring your marketing department and how are you, I guess, attacking social media? Is it really just like this, the the social media girl? I hate calling her that because it, she, I'm sure she does so many other different things than just being the social media girl. But um, she's killing yeah. it, first of all. But second of all, how are you guys, I guess, approaching the marketing of rocket shipping?
3: Yeah. And uh, to give her credit, her name is Elena Shellstead, And she started with us in March. She's from the Fargo area. She's been incredible. And she's really good at TikTok and a lot of other things in marketing. But our main approach actually is not just TikTok, not just LinkedIn. I'm trying to build personal brand on LinkedIn. I'm super focused on that, not selling rocket shipping, but really just trying to add value uh, about LTL and it's probably an overused phrase, but there's riches in the niches and I'm trying to stay as niche as possible within transportation. So I talk a lot about LTL. We ship truckload, we ship white glove, we ship a lot of modes, but I talk about LTL because that's what I'm best at and that's what I know. Um, But our approach to marketing and media in general is actually, you know, I'm giving a little bit too much away because I'm launching another company called Rocket Media uh, within Rocket Shipping. But I'm building out, I have a team of five now And all they're going to do is build out a media package for rocket shipping and then for others um, around content marketing, personal branding, and then also, you know, the traditional sales and marketing, which is having your video marketing and having your, you know, we use Vidyard and all of those techniques to, you know, make sales and and land deals. I love that. So we we're that's pretty much my main focus.
0: I, I, so we're going to have to have you back on the show in the future to talk about Rocket Media because that just sounds... It, it's something that is sorely needed in this industry, even looking at the top you know, carriers yeah. in the US. I'm like, God, some of this is just so just the same it's and you guys are really mm-hmm. standing out by doing something different something more modern um so in addition to your social media approach you're also you know making regular video content you know anybody who's watched your your videos before knows the backdrop knows you know that the, the scenery that you're in right now yeah. How are you approaching, I guess, sort of that video portion of the topics that that you're covering? Are you coming up with the topic ideas yourself? Are you planning these out on a weekly basis? Walk me through how you're approaching that, I guess, sort of the industry insights part of your strategy.
3: Yeah, I think that's pretty much leading back into the rocket media. That's why I've got those people and I've hired them and, and we're using it for that. Up until probably two, three weeks ago, I'd kind of been winging it. I just sit down. And Elena is, again, a big help on that. She sets everything up. I walk into this studio, which is inside my office here. This is our conference room. Um, and I've always been able to just sit down. I do it unscripted. I just go for it. And then she edits it and cuts out every breath and makes it real smooth. Um, I learned that from Alex Hormazzi. If you don't know who he is, you should. Um, and so that's what I'm doing And then I keep a huge emphasis on, like you said, the same or consistency of brand. And so I always wear this hat. I don't always wear this hat outside of my videos. I do wear hats pretty often, but I always wear them for the videos. I always have the same background at the same conference table because if people are familiar with my brand, they will inherently trust it, even if it's maybe not deserved. So I still have to live up to that. But that's how I see media working.
0: And that approach is, uh, I know that like Steve Jobs used to take that approach. Mark Zuckerberg is another one that takes that approach where they wear the same thing every day. Because as a leader, if they have to make one less decision a day, they want it to be, or if they have to make one more decision a day, they want it to be revenue based instead of, you know, what they're actually wearing. So I think that that's super smart to kind of keep the Mm -hmm. same. You know, let the content speak for itself, and then you know it doesn't really matter. You know what else you're wearing, as long as it's consistent with with what viewers are used to seeing. Now, now, typically, for to to get started in content marketing, a CEO has to be convinced to do it. Um, especially if it's usually one person, the social media girl, which I have yeah. been uh, to try to convince the CEO to start doing content marketing. Was that the situation for you, or were you the first to say we got to start doing this?
3: Um, no, I was, this was my idea. I was the first one to come up with it. And then I started doing it last fall on my own. And then I realized that running a company of 20 people and doing this is very difficult. And for anybody who thinks, Oh, how does he spend that much time doing this? I don't. I have Elena, I have social media team. But before that, it was inconsistent, and it wasn't effective. And so now I said, Hey, I want to do this, I'm gonna go all in on it. Um, that's always kind of been my style. As to if I'm going to do something, I'm going all in. And so I hired a team and I put the expense on rocket ship and said it's going to be worth it. Uh, there's going to be an ROI and it'll make me efficient. And so um, that that's the story of how that got started.
0: So uh, speaking of ROI, how are you answering the the ROI question? Are are you getting clients from this? Are you getting employees? I you said your TikTok strategy is mainly about recruiting, but what does that ROI look like for yeah. you?
3: So, TikTok is recruiting and that's been working. And we've actually, you know, I'm on the show because of TikTok. Um, We had a couple of people already, like, they message us on TikTok and ask if we need carrier sales reps. And, you know, we're building out truckloads. So we do. Um, But as far as ROI on LinkedIn, there's not a great tangible I got a client because of this or like they watched one video and converted. However, I did put out a video two days ago. We're looking for help with a TMS solution and we have a great TMS. We're just trying to add on some services. And so I put out a video and I asked for some help. And within 15 minutes, I had four or five VPs or founders of TMS Solutions talking to me, whether it was a referral from somebody watching my video or them reaching out themselves. And I've already had three meetings. So I see that as an ROI being connected. Um, And then for LinkedIn, recruiting top talent, that's certainly like some of the industry leaders probably know who I am, even though I'm not an industry leader, right? And so... You don't know very many CEOs. If I walk by the CEO of one of the top 10 carriers that you were talking about, I may not recognize him in the street. People may recognize me at a trade show because they've seen my videos. I don't know, but I'm certainly not an industry leader. It just appears that way from LinkedIn.
0: And I think that that's... Perception is everything exactly you you always have to manage you know sort of two different perceptions the the one that is reality and the one that is perceived and and you are really killing it out here with a lot of this different content marketing and so when you have these different segment ideas that you're coming up with do you have I guess, sources of, of what you're trying to, I guess, hit on? Or is it really just whatever comes to you, whatever you're, you're feeling for that day? Because I think a lot of CEOs and a lot of yeah. busy people, they get caught up with the nuances of planning, whereas they would just, yeah. I think would be so much more beneficial if they just sat down at the microphone and talked about what's going on in their business this week. Is that sort of your approach?
3: Yeah, yeah. You nailed it. Because uh, like yesterday's In the Weeds Wednesday, I was in the office. Elena is great about always having the camera like kind of ready to go. And then we turn the light on. Um, and I was on a call with a client, we were solving a drop trailer, they had limited dock space, they only had four doors. And so we had to figure out which drop trailer, which carrier, and if we could live load with two others for LTL. And then I said, Hey, Elena, let's go record in the weeds Wednesday about drop trailers. And so that's how I do all my content. I, I run the business and then I hear customer stories and I go, Okay, this is how it relates to somebody else in LTL. And then I give a... Instead of how to, I give a how I. Hmm. And that's my differentiator, I think.
0: Love that. I think that that's where a lot of folks also mess up how you should do things. It's when in reality, it's you're just giving your own experience and people can pick and choose what works mm-hmm. best for them. I love that approach. I think, you yeah. know, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot more of your content over on LinkedIn, especially on TikTok. Um, any plans, any, any marketing plans in the future? Or is it just going to be a sort of a, this is what's going on this week. And that's what we're going to talk about kind of strategy from you guys.
3: Yeah, we're still startup mode with our, our main product, which is our LTL brokerage and our White Glove solution. So I'm pretty buried in in revenue producing activity. And my main goal right now is bringing on VP level executives and really trying to build this out from where we're at to where we're going. Um, so I'm still just taking the media strategy one step at a time. However, I think, uh, you know, if you keep an eye on the LinkedIn, I will be announcing some, um, some launches with Rocket Media and what we're going to do with that. So that's an exciting project
4: being logistics and technology focused, what are some of the segments I guess that they focus on is, I mean, logistics and technology. is so broad. It is. We're a global, um, 4PL. We offer multimodal solutions. So we not only offer, um, trucking and rail and, you know, international forwarding, but we do offer technology, um, we have technology offerings and, um, And it's really just marrying all of that because everybody needs insights. Everybody needs to be able to see what's happening in their supply chain. And that kind of was something that the company was founded on um, almost 20 years ago. And that's what they've carried through with development. And so with a lot of those technology offerings, what is sort of the target market for Odyssey's customers? Who are you going after? Um, Anybody who ships anything. (laughs) Um, We tend to, we, we were founded on very technical Um, more complex markets like chemicals and food logistics Mm. and things like that, um, and metals. But you find if you can do the really hard stuff, you can do all of the things. And so really, it's anybody looking to streamline their supply chain to make it more efficient, to make it more consistent, especially now. Um, We learned that through COVID. And aligning with a partner who can really drive your business strategy forward by keeping your supply chain running.
0: And so with your role within the company, what what does sort of the the roles and responsibilities look like Mm -hmm. from a a daily basis to maybe a monthly basis?
4: Well, overall, we're in charge of all the marketing and communication on our small team. And like most logistics firms, it's not a huge team. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have a really diverse set of skills in our team. So we have a digital marketing manager, we have a marketing associate, and we actually partner with our four divisions very closely to make sure we're supporting the sales efforts and the marketing efforts. And also, a lot of what logistics marketing groups had to do recently, and what you do too, is educating Mm -hmm. um, the world on logistics. That became front and center a few years ago. Suddenly, everyone's talking about supply chain at the dinner table, (laughs) but they're really not talking about it in in a knowledgeable way. They're only just saying how they're inconvenienced by it. And so it's really our job as an industry to make it a little bit more digestible and make it more understood about how we all kind of participate in logistics. And
0: my grandmother is asking me at Family Functions about the supply chain (laughs) now, and she never knew
4: what I did before, but she had kind of an idea now. There's still that educational gap.
0: Now, when you're making your your, your content or you're mm-hmm. making your, your marketing plans and campaigns of, of what you're going mm-hmm. to be running, you mentioned that you work closely with all the divisions yep. and the different sales teams. Walk us through how you, you work with them. Is it regular meetings? Is
4: it coaching them on education they should be sharing? How did, what does that look like? It's a lot of, you know, interaction and communication, which was clearly a challenge when we were all remote. So we made sure we were constantly having touch points. But it's about building that rapport. At the end of the day, the marketing group is you're selling to the division like they're your customers they need to see you as a resource and they really did see that during covid because we needed to do a lot of thought leadership content and they're the thought leaders they're the ones who are in the trenches every day they understand what's going on in the marketplace and we want their ideas and their thoughts and they need to trust that we're going to take that information and put it out in the marketplace in a valuable way and so that their customers have a better experience and then we get new customers from that as well. Absolutely. So, so how are you I guess compiling that information? Is it, you know, video interviews or a uh, bit of white everything? papers? It's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I think a really good a marketing strategy should have a, um, a little bit of or a lot of actually digital, a lot of content. I've, I still kind of um, gravitate towards content as king and then all the different channels need it in a different way. Um, So you maybe have a little bit more detail on certain platforms and a little more snackable bites on others and kind of delivering it um, very similar to what you say, Blythe, on different channels. You say, okay, this is appropriate for this channel. This is appropriate for that. And really making sure it's valuable to the reader. That's the most important thing. So we do a lot of white papers. We're heavy into our blog. Our resource center is updated constantly. We're constantly listening to the market and hearing like different trends and but speaking on things that you're good about, not just newsjacking for the sake of newsjacking, you know, you want to be a trusted resource and you want them to say, oh, Odyssey is commenting on this because Odyssey really knows this. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of reference back to their knowledge, So, And we have a very strong base of subject matter experts. Oh, let's, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. i was about to ask, like, is it Odyssey, you know, commenting on, the, on their mm-hmm. own Facebook page or their own LinkedIn page mm-hmm. or... Is it you know employee advocates that, that mm-hmm. almost our act as brand ambassadors? What yeah. does that structure look like? It's a, it, it's a it's a total hybrid of both of those. Nice. Um, I think it's really important to leverage your bench, and we have a really strong bench of people. Um, each of the divisions has been so gracious with their time, um, and they provide insights into things that are relevant. I mean, we have a freight forwarding division, so. They are very specific to markets like Alaska and Hawaii. Mm. And those are nuanced markets. So I can't be speaking about them. They need to be speaking about them because those markets can kind of understand if you're fluffing them <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like okay sure. we see right through that you're not from on you're not on island um and then we have our managed services group which are highly technical there are our, our technology group they do 3pl service offerings and we you know they're at the gartner conference this week like those are the people who have different kind of market insights than you know our specialized trucking and warehousing group so and all of them through about four years of development are willing to give us their time because they see the value to their customers when they get into the marketplace and like publications and things like that. Real quick, can you give us sort of like an eagle eye view of what I guess to have the size of, of Odyssey and, and, and what that, I guess, team looks like is it global. Is it it's a global team? We have about 2,600 associates wow. and four divisions. Holy so God. yeah, and it is multimodal. and um, so we are we, we like to say we make the hard things easy, you know, so our customers come with us to come to us with really, you know, what they feel are really complex issues. Mm-hmm. And we, based on ex- experience and expertise, are able to work with them to find a solution that works for their business. And so it's really customized it's for very, customized. whatever the customer mm-hmm. really needs. Exactly. And we can do, we can do a full suite of services. So when a customer comes to us, for one thing, there's a lot of opportunity to make sure that their supply chain continues moving because of that multimodal approach. If over the road doesn't work, we can do rail and, and things of that nature. Has that approach, I guess, maybe shifted because of COVID or, or really has it just, it's been amplified. Hmm. It's been amplified because it's, it's, when you have an organization that can be nimble like that, it helps you keep moving. And that was something that we saw Um, And reliability was something that in the old days probably felt a little stodgy Mm -hmm. and a little, but being reliable during that time and being a partner that had access to the rail Mm -hmm. and access to drayage and things like that at the ports and a knowledge of what's happening at the ports was really essential because we were able to move a lot of our customers through some difficult times and make sure that they were still able to generate revenue.
0: Oh, that's interesting because a, a lot of the, I guess the the conflict around it is, is the communication and the scalability mm-hmm. of, uh,
4: as a customer of a lot of the issues that you're running into where you have stock gaps, but you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you can't scale appropriately mm-hmm. in order to handle the influx or, or maybe the, the decrease mm-hmm. in demand. Is it, Is it built for maybe like enterprise level customers or really anyone from, from small to medium size to to enterprise level? It's it's the whole, it's the whole spectrum. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's really, if you're just starting out and you're building your business and you needed access to a portal where you can plan your shipments and just do it on your own and manage it yourself. We have a solution for that in in our shipwright solution. And if you wanted us to do all of your logistics and manage everything and you just are like, I don't want to deal with it. Right. And we have that as well. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So how are you, I guess, with all of the different solutions that you're providing your global company? How are you, I guess, communicating those in marketing campaigns? Do Mm -hmm. you have like 30,000 (laughs) campaigns running at once. like, what does that look like? That's where like the content kind of creation comes into play. And it's like, we like to create a really dense piece of document like that we can kind of sparse out. And that's our case studies. The biggest thing for us is like, you know, peer to peer recommendations are huge. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get our customers to talk about their solution and what resonated with them, why did they go to us? We can say what, Mm -hmm. what we think we provide to the marketplace, but the customer really tells the story. So we do that a lot. And we always kind of focus on What's important to our business, of course, and then what's important to the marketplace right now, like during COVID, like everybody was at capacity, you were doing all of these things. Information was really important during COVID. So we set up our resource center online and we made sure that on a regular basis, they were getting only the information that impacted their business and from one place because we were all inundated with so much information for sure. Like you just didn't know where to look. You didn't know who to trust. And so we built that and we actually saw a major leap in our follow, followers and our website traffic because of that. Oh, wow. So how are you, I guess, convincing, how are you organizing all of it? Because I, I run into that issue where mm-hmm. I have so much content now and now it's about the organization of how I'm structuring it. Do you have different resource sections for each yep. customer type? Is, am I thinking along the well, lines? Yes, you are. And we're actually evolving because to your point, you get to a point where it almost becomes a junk drawer. You have all of this information and you don't know how to sort it. So our team, um, our great digital team has just been working on our resource center. So it's basically like, okay, this is where we were in the news. This is it. And then our blogs and we do tagging and all of that kind of thing. We're big into metrics and ROI. So we make sure that we're seeing what works and doing more of what works and maybe archiving things that maybe aren't as relevant because we want to be delivering content that people digest. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you
0: brought it up, so I'm going I'm to roll with the ROI question mm-hmm. with content marketing. How are you answering that to you know the executive team? Are they are they supportive of content marketing mm-hmm. efforts? I would imagine if you have Absolutely. a team.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. And I think it is always important that any marketing team needs to have some Kind of metrics to deliver, whether or not they've been requested or not requested at a time when you know we're do, everyone's doing really well. there tend not to be such a focus, but marketing spend is always you know up on the chopping block, if you will. Um, and it's really important to know um, who's visiting your site, the growth, the activity on that. And first of all, you should always be changing you should always be up on your SEO, adjusting to what Google's giving us on a weekly basis. They're always adjusting your algorithms. But for reporting, we have a lot of, of tags in the background. We do Google Analytics. We're, we're in, um, we have our CRM and our account-based marketing programs that we have some reporting on. And it's really about the full life cycle of the lead. How do they engage with us on the website and where do we see that full, fully to the end of it? Do you have any interesting data points that you've seen as far as like the customer journey? Because I find that, that type of insight just fascinating. I love it. I love. I'm a, I'm a data junkie, so it's very interesting for me. I feel as though we found a lot of success on, um, like microsite information and landing pages, oh, cool. where it's like very um, easy to digest content, infographic form, and in a download. And I'm not a big fan of gated content. I feel like it's like oh. You want my information yes. and now you're going to stalk me. Can you just use um, your fake email. <laughs> exactly. So that's where the tagging kind of comes in place. So you can see their journey and see like, okay, they came and they found it. Um, they found us and they stayed. So um, we've found a lot of success. And again, it's going back to like really good content from a customer perspective, mm-hmm. not our perspective. Right. Like whether we launch a new service, it has to be from the point of what's in it for them as opposed to what's in it for us. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's, it, 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 so many companies miss... That mm-hmm. mindset aspect. So when you're you're going through all of your different campaigns and and you're you're tracking your different data points, what's the marketing technology that you're a big fan of, and then some marketing technology that you just think is a waste of time? <laughs> okay, so I'm um I've always been in Google. It's a little clunky, you know, in the back end, but once you figure out what little nuggets that you want to get, that's pretty that's pretty good. We also um we use ParDot, which is um in full disclosure. <laughs> Always says it. I don't want to. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's been challenging, yeah. but we've spent a lot of time and we have a great partner that has helped us really get that to be as optimized as mm. possible so we can track that because we want that connection um, with the life cycle of the customer. Um, we do do a lot of social listening mm-hmm. and we do that through a tool, um, Digital Marketing Insights from Meltwater. Oh, cool. And so that's always fun because you get to see trends on, okay, here are the people who are typically in your ecosystem and this is what they're reading hmm. and this is what they're reading in the marketplace. And you can kind of maybe get what we like to say is see round the corner a yeah. little bit. Like these are things that are of interest to them. Maybe we start delivering them some content on that. I think a, a similar tool that does that is, is SparkToro, where mm-hmm. you can go in and you can ask, you know, what is my audience talking about? And you put in a few key yeah. words and it'll spit out mm-hmm. all of the different publications of what they're reading yeah. and, and what's in their profile and mm-hmm. things like it's a lot. It's almost like creepy it is very creepy. <laughs> As a person, I don't love it. As a marketer, I love yes. it, you know. So, and, and but but you know, I want I want content that makes sense to me. So I would assume the customer wants that as well. Um, but I think that that's really important. And to your point earlier, it's all about engaging with your subject matter experts on a re- regular basis. Like we do a yearly planning session where we map everything out on a on a on an overarching scale. Like okay, these are your business priorities, and mm-hmm. how can we support them? And we're coming up on our mid years everything changes, right? And you have to recalibrate. You can say, "This is what you said was important in January. What shifted, and what do we need?" Because our role as marketers is to support them. I love and that. And so we re- we always are recalibrating, and that can happen anytime. But it's important to have the intention of having that meeting and right. talking to them and hearing because they're actually also industry insights that they know yeah. before I do because they're talking to a customer on a regular basis
0: 100 mm-hmm. they're already
4: in the trenches so is marketing owning those conversations or is it you know sales maybe having those conversations and the marketing sits in on it like who's managing that part of marketing thing? owns those conversations that's mm-hmm. awesome marketing drives them and owns them and, and, and then you create that partnership like for me I'm very fortunate because now we're fully engaged that we even have a customer meeting on in a tour on Friday that I was invited to as just to be part of it. So then you can hear firsthand what customer questions are coming in. What are what are things that are of interest to them that maybe we've missed in the past. And so when you when you're plotting out like all of your different campaigns and your your customer interviews and, and things like that, how are you managing this project management tool? Is it we use um before COVID began, we started using, because to your point, there's a lot of things happening. How do you keep it all organized? This is monday.com. Oh, love monday i do too yes, um, we were just joking about it and the other in the other room is like skittles like all the different colors and stuff but i'm obsessed with like organization yes. so and that's a really great tool for us you can link different boards and so our content calendar is in there our trade show calendar and events and then we just have tasks and we're able to report and back to your ROI we're able to report based on Okay, these are all the projects we did for each of the divisions. Hmm. And then this is the focus that we had so that there's never any question, what's marketing working on? What are, you know, right. not it's that all that's just... a question that normally comes up because they know we're busy, but it is nice to be able to have a follow-up from those yearly and mid-year conversations and say, okay, last year we did this. Yes. And then what we typically do too is share across divisions what was done with each division, hmm. because sometimes they don't know what we're working on, and they could get value out of it as well. One hundred percent, because then you can just create a link to that shareable board, which if you have never used it, Monday or a project manager, it's fantastic. It, you can automate a lot of those different mm-hmm. processes too. So I'm a I am I, I, use, I used to use Monday.com, but now I use ClickUp and but both platforms. Yeah. it's like a fancy Excel spreadsheet, and it streamlines communication. Mm-hmm. It clarifies. And it also eliminates, I'm not a big fan of meetings for meetings and it eliminates a lot of that because you can just go back and forth and you can say, okay, I think this color is a little off Can you change that instead of, you know, all of that rigmarole and focus when you're in front of your team and having meetings, focus on the really important
0: stuff. 100%. Now,
4: you know, you had briefly mentioned uh, um, in your tracking of your not content marketing plan, but your trade show plan. How are you approaching trade shows now in a post-COVID world? Yeah, it's interesting. I would probably uh, maybe misspoke. I should probably say events. Oh, yeah, uh, more course, than trade yeah, shows yeah. you now because trade shows and events—they were always kind of like I kind of jump them together, but they're kind of different. Right they are different, and I think trade shows—it um, depends on the business unit mm-hmm. and our divisions. Like certain ones, really, still rely on them. They still rely on going and talking to the customer and engaging. And a lot of times in our industry, you go to the trade show to meet the other exhibitors, maybe not even the visitors. Right. And so there are specific business units that have continued. Once they came back online, we were back in them. But we've definitely seen a reduction Hmm. in in in-person kind of trade shows. Whereas events like this, like the TMSA, where you're engaging and you're able to network a little bit more and to collaborate those actually we're seeing a little bit more of an increase because I think there's an appetite for engagement One hundred percent. after being stuck at home for two years, yeah. we're all eager to see people in three dimension and share ideas. 100%. Mm. And then there's also the the other side of it where like you talk to people all day and you're like, why am I so tired? <laughs> I know. Yeah. The end of the days are a little, I don't think we're, we're, we're our muscle memory is off right. a little bit there.
2: We'll, we'll get back. We'll get back.
4: <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely something that we've seen. Um, but for those events that you know provide a lot of value and access, I mean, they are no brainer. But you can get you, you can have fifteen meetings in one day as opposed to all the travel and everything
0: like. Yes, yeah, so, so you still can, do,
4: and you're saving
0: money too. Mm-hmm. Right? At the end of the day, I mean, everybody wants to get more bang for their buck, exactly. especially mm-hmm. when you're not just the money that you spend on conferences and, and going to different mm-hmm. events, but it's also the, the the time away from the work that
4: you're and already doing you have to make up for that work somehow and you can make up for it pretty easily and justify that budget if you get some leads out of it exactly (laughs) exactly so let's talk a little bit about you know the social media because i feel like social media is just the the end-all be-all for a lot of marketing it's sort of the vein of the existence but also very crucial Mm -hmm. to to what we're trying to get out yeah what social media platforms are you a fan of now Mm -hmm. and and which ones are you kind of leaning away from Well, I don't think any of them are bad. I think it depends on what audience you're pitching and depends on the business. So each of the businesses, so we use a lot of Facebook um, for truck driver um, retention, Instagram very much for employee engagement. Um, And we're trying, we're, we're dipping our toe in that water a little bit and to see how we can maybe use it as an educational format. We find LinkedIn as being very valuable because we are a 4PL. We are global. Um, And so a lot of key decision makers are on LinkedIn and it's very versatile. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of options on LinkedIn. Uh, You know, LinkedIn Live is something that we're going to be starting with and and things like that. Um, TikTok, as we saw this week, is very popular with driver recruitment. We, We don't engage in TikTok at this point because the key decision makers for certain parts of our business aren't there not to say it's off the table, like really nothing should be off the table. I think as a marketer, I think you just have to consider what, where's your audience and deliver to that. Are there any parts of your marketing that you are focusing more on that you didn't think you would be? Like is it more video, more, more podcasting, maybe more social email, or is it kind of all intertwined? It is all intertwined. I feel as though we just have to be more thoughtful on how do we deliver the content that we're creating? Because you know, um, in the past when I started, it was create a brochure, create a video. The video is three uh, three minutes long, and you know, tells you you put everything in the kitchen sink in. And, and I think what we have to start doing, um, because of the volume of um, deliverables, is so is so great. It's just not worry so much about it, things being perfect, but delivering them. Like like to your point, like just post something and, right. and put information out there. Um, and so yes, video is something that we're working on, and and we're wanting to spend more energy, but maybe not more time. We don't have to make it so complicated, right? In the old days, it was like, you have to have a photo shoot and we have to have all of these things. And now it's like, no, you have to have a phone and you have to have someone willing to tell their story. And so that's something that I think that we're, um, we're going to be spending more time on because social is so important.
0: What are some, going back to the the ROI question, are there any sort of, I guess, data points within marketing that really get you like juiced up, get you excited?
4: Yeah, conversions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my favorite word because did we get a conversion what does that conversion mean is how did we get did we get somebody to land somewhere that was that was intentional to get them there and did they convert and want to reach out to us that's literally the be all and end all for me I mean you can say yeah we got a lot of impressions and things like that and that's always fun and that makes you feel good yeah but I think at the end of the day if you had 7 million conversions, but five customers. It's like, that's a win, man. Like, cause we got, we were able to engage and get people converted. And then we were able to help accelerate the sales process, which is ultimately our goal. What about as far as um, like advertising, or are, are you guys doing a lot of advertising or is it mainly just all purely organic? And, and that's, that's how you're targeting. We do a mix. So we do, and it depends on again, the division It depends on what, what service offering that we're, we're pitching at the time, but we do um, definitely digital advertising. We do Google AdWords, we do LinkedIn, boosted post, all of that. We definitely spend a lot of time. Our digital marketing manager is outstanding, and he spends a lot of time on um, search engine optimization and making sure our web content is strong. And and then we do print and digital. So we have a lot of we we engage a lot with our you know our logistics publications and in the industry. There's a lot of knowledgeable people that you want to partner with. So we still understand that people are reading those magazines. Mm-hmm. They're reading that, you know, Waves Daily, e bots. I mean, everybody reads that, right? I get it at 12.01 every day and I open it and I see what's on in the news. So we do digital ads um, in those platforms as well. So you had you
0: had mentioned something. Uh, I come from a
4: print background mm-hmm. and so it, it's encouraging to hear mm-hmm. that people are still investing in print. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that print is, is still something that, you know, your company thinks is important? I think everybody, you know kind of delivering to your customer. Right. And I think everybody takes information differently. And I think there is still an element of people who like to read a print publication and see the whole thing. That's how I actually prefer to read. I have a Kindle, but I still lug a big book around and all of that tangible something tangible. And I think sometimes that tactile kind of engagement with whatever you're reading, you can digest it better. So I think there is still, and you know, it's harder to track the ROI on that. But I do think a lot of the publications now are very good in partnering with you to give you a mixed program. Yes. So it's like, okay, if you do the print, you'll do this with digital and then, you know, you'll work together on a media plan. And I think that's helpful because I think it is, no matter what you're doing in marketing, it's always a mix. It's not one size fits all. 100%. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. Yes. You so. have to diversify of yeah. whatever your approach is. And I still get the magazine. and I look <laughs> through it. And then and I always pick up things that I might have missed in the digital e-blast. And yes. I'm like, oh, I didn't notice this person moved to this location or this case study. And I always feel like I get more when I'm actually physically reading something. 100%. But I'm not going to make my marketing budget based <laughs> on what I prefer. We just know that it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah
0: so I guess, you know, as we sort of
4: wrap up this conversation, what, is, what are some things that you're excited about that's coming in, in the next year? Is it, is it Odyssey related? Is it campaign related? I imagine probably both. Yeah. Odyssey is always growing, which is always so exciting. And it's very similar to what's happening here at TMSA is there's just this new renewed energy and new people coming in with new ideas. And I think the only way to find new solutions is to have new ideas. And you can see with all the, the different discussions we had this week, we have them the same in our office, mm-hmm. is how, what are new ways to solve old problems? Mm-hmm. And, you know, logistics tends to have, you know, had people who were legacy, which is fantastic, but you have this um, generation that's coming in that either is younger, because they're coming right out of university, or they're coming from different fields mm-hmm. and coming into logistics, that they're bringing different approaches and so I think that's really exciting because it keeps it new. Um, so that at Odyssey is gonna be great because we do have so many solutions in this. How do we actually put all these together to be the best for our customers? And I think that this year we're, we're seeing a lot of that and, um, and, it's, and it's growing and I'm just so excited to support it through our digital and print efforts.
0: Now, now, Sarah, I, I have followed your work for a while over on TikTok, and and like I said just a, a few minutes ago, that I I, I learn so much every time I see one of your TikToks. But but for folks who who may not follow you, who may not know about you, can you give us a little bit of background on who Sarah is and 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 how you came to work in the logistics industry?
2: Sure. Um. So you know, I came into logistics in in two thousand nine. Uh, I had just graduated college. I was looking for a sales position, and I ended up. Uh, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really this push for supply chain majors at that time frame, right. That's kind of been a, a relatively new interest and, and, you know, sexy field that people are getting into that, that wasn't in, in 2009. Um, and I applied for a job at C.H. Robinson, you know, the largest uh, free brokerage in, in North America. And I ended up working there for six years or maybe seven years. Um, and after that, I, you know, I've now been at NFI for six or seven years and, and moved into a major, you know, a, a plethora of, of different roles within the logistics field. Um, and, you know, with, with the pandemic and, and TikTok on the rise, I actually wanted uh, to continue to develop myself and, and my ability to learn in a kind of novel way. Um, and so... Uh you know communication is incredibly important in in transportation uh because a lot of uh brokerage relationships transportation relationships are really dependent on your ability to communicate, convey a message convey that you can mm-hmm. you can execute on and deliver on a promise and so I had always worked on on writing skills, and something that I really wanted to hone on was uh, was kind of verbal communication, right. Um, especially on camera, which is, is actually way scarier than just in person and stuff. I I actually, I'm very bad in in front of a camera. You, you might not think that for my logistics videos, but people have called me out for, for seeming, um, I don't know, in a bad mood sometimes. Um, but mainly it's just, it's just, you know, stage fright. Um, and so, you know, I created this account one because, uh, I thought Logistox was a really perfect name for a TikTok account. Um, and I really wanted to take advantage of that. Uh, two, I wanted an avenue to continue learning and then learning how to regurgitate that information and knowledge in a way that, was, that I wanted to see if it was interesting to other folks. And three, um, to really build legitimacy uh, through a platform that's not really taken advantage of. Um, right. I mean, I could have started posting on LinkedIn and had three views and a a couple likes. Right. But TikTok, um, right. You, there's not a lot of control necessarily on who sees your content, um, Mm -hmm. and where it goes. And so it becomes its own monster. Um, and so that has been exciting and interesting to see. And so, you know, from that building a, a group of followers, um, obviously I've built a really small small following small name for myself oh no way um, <laughs> it's pretty small it's pretty small no it, um,
0: it it's definitely i mean uh, you are one of the few brokers that i know of on tiktok and i think you're the most successful broker out of any any brokers that i know so you're obviously you you're doing a good job um so but i, I also wonder Was there any like hesitancy of getting on TikTok at first, even from like the 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 company standpoint? Because you work for NFI, and they also have a TikTok account now. So I kind of uh, almost wonder, like, were they scared of you getting on TikTok and and maybe you know sharing a message, or were they all for it? No, so uh,
2: you know, again, I also I uh, again this like feeling of it being more private to develop legitimacy. I'm often one of those people who don't like to. You know, a lot of people gain, um, they love to say something that they're working on. And I love to say something that I'm working on that I've started to garner success on, right? Because that's momentum. And that's, that's really drives you to actually finish a project. A lot of people like to tell about projects that they're working on that they might not even ever start. So, you know, I, I wanted to build up a following and, you know, I'm actually in our corporate building. Marketing is on the other side of this wall, basically. Um, and you know, I had, they had had a, like a, a discussion internally about, you know, before they released their TikTok account, like how can we, how can we create, you know, TikTok, uh, for NFI, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, and they've done, they've built a really interesting platform there as well. Um, but I, I didn't really hide it. Um, Mm. but I also don't advertise it either. Um, unless something like really cool happened from it, like, I got a new customer, but that hasn't happened yet. That's been one of my goals, but, um, I, you know, a lot of, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Oh, I was going to say that that's actually my next question is because a lot of people, especially when it comes to brokerage, they're, they're wondering, well, what's going to be the ROI of this? And I think ROI is different for every company when they start their, con- their content marketing journey. I mean, ultimately, you do want customers to come out of it. But but what's been sort of the ROI for you? Is it being able to share expertise? Is it sharing that education with you know your current customers? And maybe that develops and helps for future customers? What does the ROI look like for you?
2: Well, I love learning from other folks. You know, I think it's really interesting the the comments that I see. I think the majority of my followers are frontline truck drivers, which I think is a really interesting, you know, I think they rely on information that I give them in terms of the market. Obviously, if I say the market's really good for truck drivers, I'm I'm going to get a, a lot of views. If I said it was really negative, they'd be like get out of here and (laughs) go back on your yacht, you broker. You know, it's just, it's so funny. (laughs) Like there's so many mis, you know, there's so many misconceptions and there's, you know, there's always been this like uh, contentious relationship between brokers and truck drivers. And, and really they're, they're very much dependent relationships on each other. And so, you know, the, you know, I just like, I like learning what's going on in the market. Um, And I like that, that interaction. And I, I think I think some of the the most powerful responses that I've gotten, and again, I, o- I only added my LinkedIn profile to my account as soon as I got to 10,000 viewers. Cause again, mm. you know, I wanted there to be legitimacy behind my account before I opened it up to more public accounts for myself. True. Um, because I, again, uh, you, for me, it's about, you know, not just being on a platform and saying hello, but like, can I be successful at this before I broadcast this to others? Um, And so, you know, I think part of um, why I'm also so recognizable, right, is that there isn't a ton of visibility for women in logistics, transportation, Mm -hmm. brokerages. And so, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages from folks who are like, I was so surprised to see someone who looks like me or to see a woman talking about these things. Like, I've never seen that. And thank you for the work that you do. So that has always um, been been really nice to hear um although you know occasionally I I I get men in my comments who who stand up for me I've had I've literally had like two people who who've made fun of my haircuts in comments and I'm just like we both know I have an amazing haircut (laughs) I don't I don't know who you're trying to convince with that right
0: I think it's just more of the the when you reach a certain level of success on social media, those just negative comments, like they're just going to come in. But that's got to feel so good to have your followers like back you up and do the arguing for you. Uh, I I imagine that's got to be a really good feeling. But I also really like the approach that you took that you want to build this authentically first before you start sharing it with a ton of other people. Because I think that that's what a bigger mistake that folks make on other social media platforms where You know, say if you have a new LinkedIn post and you want, you send it to all your friends and family and you're like, go like this post, please, because it'll help the algorithm. When in reality, that's not teaching you anything. You're not really learning how to build if it's just your friends and family that are going to be liking your content. They're probably not in your target audience anyways. So I really think that that was smart to sort of build you know, independently first, and then start branching out into other social media platforms. Now, I, I imagine that your content is great for like educational purposes, and 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 especially from, you know, that that broker lens. Do you have any advice for brokers that are wanting to get their message out, but they're not exactly sure where to start? Is TikTok the place to start, or is it LinkedIn, or or what? What advice would you give to a broker that that wants to start sharing their perspective and their insight?
2: I guess it depends on what their uh their end message is what's their goal from from that is it is it just a personal uh is it a personal validation thing of I want my voice to be heard right like a a man in a podcast who knows right mm-hmm. like i I don't know I mean I think everybody has a need or has an interest in in wanting to be heard and you know so I think if new brokers uh, are looking for a platform to use, yeah. I mean, I think TikTok is for everyone. I think that's the point of TikTok. TikTok is so niche; you really have no idea how how deep some of these rabbit holes go until you start exploring them. And some of them are obviously bad, but a lot of them are great. Um, and you find different fans in different areas. And and I think you know people will over time move or, move away from delegitimizing TikTok as as just this. Um, teenage tool for social media, and you know, I think it will be a great way to t- transition for for lots of different companies in order to advertise on behalf of what they're doing, what they believe, what they think. Um, because you know, I don't necessarily think, in my own personal opinion, I don't necessarily think LinkedIn will be able to suffice in that kind of way. It doesn't have as much traction. Um, it doesn't have a, uh, different kinds of audiences that you can reach accidentally. Mm. Um, so, I just think the breadth of the amount of folks who are who are on uh, TikTok just really lends to a unique experience um, that you know can be reimagined in, in lots of different ways.
0: Yeah, because you you make a great point with with TikTok. The it's all about the content first. Whereas on other social media platforms, it's really about the creator first and, and following certain people. Whereas TikTok doesn't really care. Like if, if the video is applicable to, you know, this demographic and this audience and their interests, they're going to show it to them. And discovery is so much easier on TikTok than it is really on any other channel, any other any other social media platform. Um, now for, for when it comes to the creators and maybe it's in supply chain, maybe it's outside of supply chain. Are there any folks in, in the logistics space that you follow um, on TikTok or any other social media platform, that that are inspiring to you and, and maybe has affected you know either positively or negatively what you're going to cover.
2: Um, I have a horrible answer, which is I don't <laughs> I don't follow any like barely anyone on my logistics mm. account because I don't want it to create an algorithm for me. I don't. Mm. I, I, I have a private account. And that's the one that I scroll through. If I'm accidentally scrolling on my logistics account, I'm like, ah, (laughs) I move over (laughs) to my other one. (laughs) So I really, I only do it for external posting. I really don't want there to be Mm. something. I don't want there to be more of a character behind it that can be looked into. Not that I'm like afraid of that or something. I just, it's really just there as an outlet for me, again, for Uh, To develop, you know, how I communicate with others, how I learn different information, how then I can reproduce those conversations on behalf of clients, uh, you know, that are happening in real time. So it's really just for me.
0: Hmm. And so, I, I mean, I I love that approach because then you can kind of keep a little bit of your anonymity in. And I love like YouTubers, for example, they will, you know, certain YouTubers won't even put their face on on camera. They'll have millions of subscribers, but they won't put their face on camera. So it's it's an interesting approach to try to keep you know, your, your social media, I guess, as targeted as possible. Um, but for, for other folks that, you know, maybe are, are wanting to get started with their journey, you know, creating content online, would you give any kind of, you know, advice to these folks who are maybe coming into brokerage, coming into sales and anything that they should know maybe before they get started with content or, or how they should get started with content?
2: Um, I would just say be responsible. Like with any sort of message, you know, if you're trying to come in as an authority figure or a subject matter expert, be responsible with the information that you deliver, right? I mean, I would say I go through multiple sources before, you know, a lot of my posts aren't necessarily, some of them are just opinions and thoughts, right? And those are really ever changing in transportation and logistics, considering the landscape over the past two years. Um, but I would say if you want to be a content creator, um, you also have to have a sense of responsibility. Um, you know, just like Spider Man, with, with great power comes great responsibility.
0: hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch, where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on, like Cyberly, Maritime Means, and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave, and I will see you real soon. Go Jags!